your ride ready for spring driving with Dobbs Spring Break Deals. Money saver deals you can use on Goodyear, Pirelli, Cooper, Michelin, and General Tires. Expert auto service, too. Click on GoToDobbs.com for spring break deals now. For over two decades, E&B Granite has been St. Louis's trusted name for kitchen, bathroom, and outdoor space renovations that are guaranteed to bring new life into your living spaces. Their skilled team will provide you with personalized customer service, fast turnaround times, and prices you won't find with big box stores. Support local and schedule free consultation at enbgranite.com or call them at 314-645-9300 or better yet, stop by the showroom and explore their massive inventory. Again, that's enbgranite.com. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. guys are excited to be back uh, obviously after a game like we had the other night um, there was a lot of energy after the game so I think it was good for them to reset take a breath um, you know this is going to be a tough part of our schedule but I think I said this before I think we need hard right now to see where we're at uh, and this is going to be a good test us you know tonight against a real good Dallas team so that was from the other night it was Drew Bannister talking about the vibes with the team coming back from break Alex they were immaculate unfortunately that did not lead to wins against Colorado oh. or Pittsburgh however they did play pretty well all things considered and I know you don't get moral victories at this point in the season it's about wins and losses and whether or not you're going to have enough of those stacked up by the time they get to the trade deadline to either add to this team or to at least keep the team together, right? Don't break it up before you get to the trade deadline. Well, over the next 10 or so games, we're going to learn everything we need to know about this team, Alex, because they are now going up against the best of the best. You already went up against Colorado Pittsburgh, failed both tests, pass fail test right now. They failed both of them coming up next, Vancouver, Carolina, Florida, the Rangers, Boston, Philly, Washington, back to back. You've got Calgary, Vancouver again, Seattle, and then the Kings. Dude, this schedule is relentless in the month of January. You have, in the words of Bill Belichick, no days off, no days off, no day. Oh, we were stopping. Okay. This stretch is going to determine. This is a fork in the road moment for this team. We will find out in this stretch of games if by February, Alex, we are talking about the Blues with the development plan and calling guys up and finding out what you have internally or if they're actually pushing in a real way for a playoff spot. Where are you at going into this stretch of games? I think that's exactly where you're at. And I think by the time you play Washington, which is six games from now, you're going to be sincerely looking at the standings either up or down. And what I mean by that is like, look, Colorado and Dallas and Winnipeg, they're going to hold on to that. But you're six points behind the Nashville Predators with two games in hand. I don't know what their schedule is, but they've played some really inspired hockey. Arizona, they're three points up on you, the same games in hand. They've played some inspired hockey. But if you go on a run here where you can pick up points in five of these six games, you could be looking at the Nashville Predators in Arizona and thinking, all right, we're up here with the top three. Or if you lay an egg and go 0 for 6 in these games against some very tough opponents, you could be looking up at Minnesota, 
at Arizona, at Nashville. You could even be looking up at Edmonton and maybe Seattle because Seattle's won seven of their last 10 games. So this is the stretch that is going to turn boys into men. This is the stretch that's going to turn. I said it. That's right. This is the stretch that you find out. Are we seriously a playoff contender? Are we seriously a team that Doug Armstrong labeled on the 50-yard line and pushing into the offense? Or are we taking steps backward? Because if you lay eggs against Vancouver, Carolina, the Rangers, Boston, Philadelphia, I know all, all of which are, would be totally understandable. And all that are all in the Eastern Conference. So in all reality, people are probably thinking, well, it doesn't really matter because these teams don't matter in the playoffs. You're taking on the Western Conference teams. But points are important. Yeah. And by the end of January, when you go into that all-star break, if you're looking up chasing six, seven, eight points with five teams, man, that is going to be a very difficult task for this team down the stretch, which by the way, if you look at their schedule post all-star break, it's not a cakewalk either. Yeah. After this stretch, you basically determine, okay, can we fight for the playoffs or is it time to develop? And when I mean develop, I mean like whether it be bumping a Pronovich up in the lineup, maybe not right after these 10 games, but maybe then you, you know, army probably then is looking at, okay, we're probably going to sell a couple pieces off. And then maybe do you start to lay out some groundwork for some other guys to come up through the minor leagues that you may say, okay, let's see what Dean or a Bolduc or whoever else they may think has a chance at being an NHL or call them up and see what they can do as well. So this is a very important 10-game stretch, and we've talked about it all year long. And I'm not saying they got to win 10 in a row during this, but can you put together a stretch of like where you get points in 6 of 10 or 7 of 10? And look, that's a daunting task. I, I know it's a daunting task. I know how crazy as I said that. But they keep riding this wave up, down, up, down. We said it. You got to get on a winning streak or you got to put some points together throughout a sustained stretch. Otherwise, it's going to be tough to get in the playoff picture. And as we've seen, they've started to dip kind of below that line. The teams above them are starting to surge. And you mentioned Seattle. Seattle's starting to surge as well. They've got to find a way to just find get points. I'm not saying they got to win a lot of these games. Can you get points in? Can you get points in 6 of 10 here? Edmonton's won six in a row. Seattle's won five in a row. Nashville's won two in a row in six of their last 10 games. Minnesota has gone on a little bit of a losing streak, but they were playing some really good hockey. By the end of this 10-game stretch or even six-game stretch, however you want to view it, you could be looking at chasing four teams in a wild card spot. Yeah, I mean, you could be behind Calgary and Minnesota. If you go into a stretch right now where you struggle, those teams are going to pass you as well. And the only teams that will be behind you at that point in the Western Conference, screw the division, the Western Conference are the three teams that are the clear-cut worst in the league, which is Anaheim, Chicago, San Jose. That's it. You will be the midpoint of... The teams that are tanking and the teams that are trying to contend this year, that would be where the Blues fall in the league. And if that ends up happening, well, then there will be no decision for Doug Armstrong to make. It will be made for him where it is a very clear we are sellers. I don't know specifically what they will be selling. That'll be the conversation that will take place most of the month of February. But that will be the determination by the front offices. We're sellers. It is time for us to go into evaluation mode. And that might mean Perunovic with Pareko on the top pair. That might mean, let's see what it looks like on the power play with some of these other players getting more opportunities. That might mean breaking up the Thomas Kairu Buchnevich line to find out, okay, who else can they pair with? Those are the kinds of things. It might mean Dean coming up. Those, those are the kinds of things that you start looking at is what are we going to have in 2024 fall, the fall of 2024. Right now, what you're hoping is you can prevent that. The way you push that off is by playing well in this stretch of games. But Alex, I'm skeptical, man. I, I'm skeptical. I've, I have liked the game that they have played lately better than what they had early on this season. I mentioned it early on. I felt like they weren't inspired. I felt like they didn't play 
hard-nosed hockey. Like, forget the style of fast-paced, exciting, fun hockey. I, they clearly didn't have any of that. I thought they just didn't look like they were trying out there at times. And that was hard for me to get behind. I went in last night because I was curious. Okay, we got a clear cut cutoff point here. January 1st. January 1st of last year versus January 1st of this year. When they got to the new year, how does this team compare to the team that we saw a year ago that clearly failed in every possible aspect? And the answer is, Alex... They are almost the exact same team. At this point last year, you were at a 500 points percentage. This year, you're at 514. Last year at Corsi rating, you were the exact same. Shots for percentage, same. Expected goals percentage, same. Shot, uh, scoring chances for percentage, the same. Shooting percentage, the literal exact same. Save percentage at five on five, 91% last year, 91% this year. Alex, this is the exact same team at 5-on-5 five five as what we saw at this point a year ago. The only difference, really, between the two teams. Power play was better last year. Penalty kill is much better this year. That's it. That is the difference. And what, the, what that means, you have amounted to the same team. Yep. You are the Spider-Man meme looking back at one another from where you were last year to where you're at this point this and year. And what did they do after January 1st last year? Alex, they, they traded to... everything. Exactly. And so that's why I... I... T-Bone's right. Uh, These 10 games, because the the part that could provide Blues fans optimism, where I'll look at it and say like, hey, they got a chance, is the new coach bump. Because you got a new coach in there. And we were talking about this. The concerning part on all of this is the fact, like when I look at other teams that were in this retool, all of them showed progress from year to year in certain areas. We talked Vancouver. Their save percentage significantly went up from one year to the other. The LA Kings, I looked at this when we were talking. Their offense, the five-on-five opportunities, Corsi rating, that significantly improved. Defense for the Vancouver Canucks, if you don't see that, then you're not making progress as a group. Does Drew Bannister, now that he's settled in and he's got a good 10 games under his belt, does he look at the next step and say, like, now it's time to implement my thoughts in this? That's the optimistic side. The pessimistic side is, man, in a year span, you haven't changed anything with your team. And the hope coming into it was, well, the defense was going to improve. And I'd argue that the first chunk of the season, it did improve, but it's fallen back into grace. The offense has not improved with the exception of a couple of individual players. What are we doing here? We're, we're, we're doing the same thing over and over and over. And teams that exit out of their retool, they find ways to stop that same trend happening. So we've mentioned the Vancouver Canucks, and that's, by the way, who the Blues take on tonight. Blues versus Canucks pregame coverage with Alex beginning at 6 o'clock right here in your home of the Blues, 101 ESPN. The, the difference between, and it's a pretty significant one, where the Canucks were when they started their retool, if you want to call it that, to where the Blues are right now, is the Canucks were really young. And I'm talking about all of their best players were extremely young. They had almost nobody on that team, Alex, a couple of years ago, that was over the age of 30. You look at the Blues right now and you're looking up and down the lineup, it's like, man, got a lot of dudes over the age of 30. They got a lot of guys that four years from now, I'm not sure if A, they're going to be here or B, they're going to be playing their best hockey for the Blues. Meanwhile, in Vancouver, it was like everybody was somewhere between 23 and 28 when they started this ascent. So you would expect those guys to all eventually get to the place where they're maturing as hockey players and they're at their prime at the same timeline. I don't feel that way about the Blues right now. And that goes back to where the Kings were. 
the Kings during their ascent still had Kopitar. They still had Drew Doughty. They still had Dustin Brown. And so you looked at them and you're like, okay, some of their best players over the age of 30. That's really, it goes back to it once again, the comparison that the Blues are hoping they can capture. That's who they That's who they need to be. Yeah. And I mean, as a team that's trying to exit out of a retool and start to build, you've got to start showing life in an area that you say like, hey, we're seeing progress here. And we talked about this earlier, like T-Bone's right. There are these are stopgap players. But when you realistically big picture, look at the team, the only stopgap guys we're talking about are Kapanen. And maybe I can hear the argument for Brandon Saad, but all of these guys are here for the next three to five years. Kevin Hayes. I mean, he's here for three more years. Two, two more, right? Oh, is it two more? I thought it he's was three, three more after this deal, one. So it's this year plus two more, correct? Okay. I, yeah, I you might be, be right with that, that one. I'm pretty sure that's right. Regardless, though. And you could trade that at any point. Like, this this is not me pushing Kevin Hayes out. I think he's been exactly what they expected him to be. But um, I, I don't know that he's a guy that's going to be here long term. I think Kevin Hayes, Kapanen, Oscar Sung, the entire fourth line really outside yeah. well, of Torpchenko, uh, probably Brandon Saad. I think all of those guys are... Stop gaps right now. Yeah. So really, you're talking about like five guys in your forward group that are going to be here long term. And all of those guys are your bottom six. Your top six is pretty much set. And then you're hoping somebody somebody steps in and pushes a guy out of that spot. But for one season, and a lot of these guys are playing in World Juniors tournaments. They're in college. They're still two years away from that one. But if you're not seeing progress with these players... That's the concerning factor into it. I I would say, too, I I, I think it is very concerning that it's not so much that you don't see a team improvement. Everything that you said, like Vancouver, save percentage. Yeah, that's kind of individualized, but that is also a team thing. That's a defense, too. Two goalies, defense helping Mm -hmm. things out. You mentioned the LA Kings, the offense that's improving as a team. When I think of the Blues, I mean, you just read off the numbers. That was very similar. In fact, just the The exact same. But I can't look at them and say, what have they done better as a team? team this year in a team sport by the way very much a team sport there's been individual things that have been improvements and look that's a good thing because you do want to see players individually grow that's the thing that's there's so not hard been a team a thing. situation like this is like i don't know how much the team thing matters right now I, I, and like I, i'm not trying to be flippant about that because i know that there is a disconnect that seems to be taking place of is it about the team winning and getting to the playoffs this year, or is it about them developing for when they really matter two years from now? I, I fall more on the second side of things but there. But the problem with that is if you're if you're trying to do that to where you're developing for when it matters, if these main guys aren't taking the proper steps forward, you're going to be doing with a guy like Robert Thomas who is taking those steps, the same that you're doing with well, Colton Pareko. I think a lot of those guys have. Like, I think Scott Perunovic has taken a significant step forward so far. This I don't know year. if your top line has, though. I don't know if I your do. top line has taken a step to where I, mean, I say, Robert like, Robert Thomas has been outstanding. Absolutely. This year. But that's one player. And I, I think Pavel Buchnevich has been basically the guy that he's been. I think he's been inconsistent. And I think when I you're. Think that's kind of, if we're being honest, I think that's kind of who Pavel Buchnevich is. Where, well, like, but that's you look a at the back of the hockey card, and at the end of the season, you're going to be really happy with the results. He's going to be a good penalty killer. He plays in every situation. He's a guy that's going to finish with 25 plus goals and he's going to finish with 60 plus points. But and you a, really like having that guy on your team. But, but to me, if your top line, and this is a guy, we're, and I'm only bringing this up because this is a guy we're talking about that you may have to re sign for eight years at eight mil per year. Your top line is going to have to change the outcomes of games almost on a consistent basis. And I don't know if they've done that enough to where I'm like, you know what? They're showing signs of progress. Maybe not. 
But I think that probably has more to do with Jordan Cairo and whether or not he's a legitimate number one winger, not just a top line player, but a number one winger than Maybe. it is about anything with Pavel Buchnevich or Robert Tom Robert Thomas. I mean, Pavel Buchnevich this season is on pace for 27 goals, 65 points, and a plus 11 on the ice in 77 games. For a team like this, that's pretty freaking good, especially when he's a guy that is arguably your best forward penalty killer and is a guy that has gone out there and has also helped you on the power play in a way that almost nobody else has. He's the only real threat that you've had so far on that unit. So I, I think he's had a pretty good season overall. He's playing almost 20 minutes a night. Like he's pretty good. Jake neighbors pretty good so far this year. Again, Perunovic pretty good. You see Bennington showing signs, Hofer showing signs. I think for the most part, the guys that we're talking about that are going to be around three years from now have shown real progress. The one question is a big one and it's Jordan Kyber. And I, I don't know how people feel about that. I think you could go either direction. I think he's kind of stagnated for the most part so far this year. But I think that is factoring almost too far into our evaluation of all of these other guys personally. Yep. Um, but the Blues back in action tonight. Big one, Blues versus the Canucks. Pre-game with Alex starting at 6 o'clock. This is the start of a significant stretch for them, which will essentially serve as a fork in the road moment for the 2024 St. Louis Blues. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, I asked this question on Twitter earlier today. You guys can go ahead and vote there at BK Sports Talk. Would you sign up for Victor Scott to have a similar career to what we saw from D. Strange Gordon? I've got an example of that and why I think it is an interesting comparison coming up in about 15 minutes or so. You guys can always get involved in the show via the Air Comfort Service text line at 314-399-9646 or watch us on YouTube at youtube.com slash 101 ESPN STL. The studio cams are powered by the Air Alliance team. But coming up next, there was some news yesterday for Mizzou fans that came out that was highly discouraging. We'll talk about it here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. And Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Oh, coming up in about 10 Where? minutes or so, we'll talk to Joey Vitale, blues analyst for Valley Sports Midwest and 101 ESPN. He got done early with one of his uh, obligations this morning, so we'll be able to catch up with Joey Vitale coming up here in just a little bit. But Alex, there was some unfortunate news yesterday. Now, this is not finalized yet, so it's still possible there's a happy ending here. But according to 24 7 Sports, Missouri's Blake Baker, their defensive coordinator, has emerged as the leading target for LSU's defensive coordinator job. This is according, again, to 24-7 Sports. Quote, led by Baker, Missouri has gone from ranking 113th nationally in total defense in 2021 to ranking 25th in the same category this season. Baker signed a new contract with Mizzou two weeks ago uh, that makes him one of the highest paid assistants in the SEC. But Baker is a former two-lane linebacker in New Orleans, previously worked at LSU as the linebackers coach and was the defensive coordinator at Louisiana Tech from 2015 to 2018. His wife, noteworthy, by the way, also played soccer and was a star at LSU as well. And their family lives in the area. So, Alex, one of the things that made me very 
encouraged about what the future look, looks like for Mizzou is not just all of the players that are coming back because they've got a lot of talent that's going to return in 2024. Luther Burden, Theo Weiss, Brady Cook, most of the offensive line. you got a bunch of playmakers that are going to be back. You've got Eli Drinkwitz back. You've got Kirby Moore back. And you have Blake Baker back on the defensive side of the ball. He has completely changed the culture on that side of the ball, and it's important because... Eli Drinkwitz, while still having a bit of a hand in the offense, he lets his defensive coordinator essentially be the head coach of that side of the football. They have carte blanche. You go take care of that. I will be the CEO and help out Kirby more with what we're doing offensively. Well, if Blake Baker does decide to leave, which seems at least possible, if not likely at this point, you now have to change whoever it is that's in charge of that side of the ball. And even if you're promoting from within, T-Bone, you've seen this. You have no idea what that means. At Illinois, they promoted from within. It was not the same defense as we saw under Ryan Walters there. I think you're expecting a little regression just based on the fact that you're not going to have Ennis Rakestraw and Chris Abrams train next year as shutdown corners on the outside. But if Blake Baker's not back, man, that really does change, I think, in a meaningful way, the the expectation for that side of the ball. Let me ask you something, BK, because you wanted to continue your career in Kansas City, and your significant other lived where? Uh, St. Louis, Alex. And and where did she want to continue her career? Uh, St. Louis, Alex. And what did you do? Well, you see, uh, I am currently hosting a radio show with you, here in St. Louis. Now, I want to be clear here, just as an aside, since we're doing this, I love living here in St. Louis. I wasn't saying that. It's a family here in St. Louis. (laughs) Like, I am more than happy to be here. This was not something that I begrudgingly decided to do. I know that's not what you were getting at there. I was making the point that when the missus says something, (laughs) we're following with the missus. 100%. And if there's somebody that is new to the station that is just now tuning in, I want you to know I'm not being held here against my will uh, doing this show in St. Louis. But it's an, it's an important point, Alex, because if his wife just wants to be back in Louisiana, and we don't know this to be true or not, but it's hard to blame him, man. Mm-hmm. I, I understand. It's a, it's a weird look, I'm not going to lie, that he signed a new contract two weeks ago at Mizzou, and now there's conversations about him being the leading candidate to take a new job with the same position at LSU, especially after he made all of the comments that he signed that extension here in, in, in Columbia because of how happy his family is. So it's a it's a weird look, but I get why he would potentially decide to So here's to do my it. question, though. If it does go down that path, and I'm like you, like what, what they did this year was outstanding, and you'd hate to see somebody like Blake Baker go. But if you're Eli Drinkwitz, don't you always have in the back of your mind that, you know, we're, we're probably going to lose one of these coordinators? Yeah, and, but after next year. But next year's the all-in year, man. But look how long it took him to get a contract extension. So don't but you they think? got it. But uh, good, agreed. But you're you're thinking ahead if you're Drinkwitz, and you're thinking like if we don't get something done, don't you have in the back of your mind who you feel like can step into that role and be ready to take that on? Yes, and I think they do. I, their linebacker coach is DJ Smith, and he is considered to be one of the rising talents in the coaching industry. So. They think that he's got a chance to be a really good defense coordinator down the line, but they didn't want to do that now. Like that's like the Scott Perunovich conversation that we're going to have later, right? I think Scott Perunovich eventually could make for a really good defensive partner with Colton Pareko. I don't know that he's ready for that right now. Like today, is he ready to be that partner on a contending team with Colton Pareko? My answer to that question would be no. Is he ready to be that a year from now though? I think he might be maybe, maybe two years from now. I'm not sure. I think that is what Mizzou was hoping for is, okay, 
This upcoming season is our all-in year. We are throwing every resource possible at the 2024 Missouri football season. And with that being in mind, we have our offensive and defensive coordinators returning. We don't want to have to develop somebody else on the job. We don't want to have to find out if that guy is ready or not to be a play caller defensively. We already know Blake Baker's really good at that. So let's just bring him back. And now they might not have that advantage. They might not be able to have their guy coming back in 2024. So it, it's a really big deal, man. If this guy decides to leave, it, it doesn't mean that all is not for Mizzou and that they're going to be screwed and they're going to win six games instead of 10 games next year. I'm not saying that, but there will be a lot more questions on that side of the football. If Blake Baker goes to LSU, the other thing that I just have to mention here, because it is a concern if he goes there, you do wonder, is are there going to be guys that are at your school now that aren't there by August 1st? Because the transfer portal doesn't just stop right now. It stops basically in July. Guys can leave after spring football and go somewhere else if they really want to. If I'm Blake Baker, yo, man, I'm taking as many dudes as I could get down to LSU because that defense needs talent. And you know what the Missouri has on that side of the ball? Talent right now. And Blake Baker's a big part of that, man. He's got a cornerback that came from Miami where he was coaching to follow him here. He's going to be a starter next year. He's got a linebacker that just transferred to Missouri from Miami. He committed to Blake Baker down at Miami. Are those guys going to be on the team on August 1st if Blake Baker decides to take this job at LSU? I don't know. That's the kind of speculation that it opens itself up to if you lose your defense coordinator. Yeah, just when you think you get excited about Mizzou, then this LSU comes in and just kicks you while you're down. Hate see? to see him. You really do. Somebody said, guys, successful programs lose their assistance. This is just part of it. Sure, they do. Most of that does not take place on January 4th after the guy signed an extension two weeks ago. Like, I understand this is part of the job. I understand this is part of the, what it means to be a successful college program. But the timing sucks. And the fact that you had this guy in place and you just got a contract extension with him sucks. And there's just no way around that. And the fact that you now are kind of trying to figure out, okay, what do we do to backfill this spot? That's not ideal either. So, and you're going into an all-in year. If this was a situation like Illinois this past whoa, season, whoa, where whoa, whoa. you're like, all right, listen, like we're probably going to win seven games. We can develop somebody on the job. That ain't no problem. If Missouri was scheduled to win, if the expectations going into next year, the prognostications were seven to eight games that they were going to win, I don't care if Blake Baker leaves, frankly. It doesn't matter to me. Man, next year is the year. Next year is the year where you're like, hey, can we go to the college football playoff? Well, everybody gets in next year, so yeah. I don't want to lose my defensive coordinator that I really like <laughs> and I think is going to be a head coach in college football the year that that is what you're trying to do. So, yeah, it sucks, man. And there's an opportunity that Baker could say, you know what, I committed to Mizzou, I love Drinkwitz, and I think we've got something special, and we go one year with it and see what happens. Um, but, again, I'll go back to the when the wife decides something. It's typically how you go. And typically when you see these national reports coming out where it says that this guy is a quote-unquote leading contender for a job, yeah. and that is not immediately shot down by that person that is the quote-unquote leading contender for the job, typically we know where this is at. What, uh, what's, what did Greg Wyshynski tell us? Where's, Where's the, the stuff, stuff? at? 
technically in Columbia. Is it though? <laughs> I don't know. Is that's it? A fair <laughs> He's Alex Ferrario. That's Tanner Hendrickson, and I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we'll get into questions and answers. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line to get involved in the show. But coming up next, Joey Vitale, Blues Analyst here on 101 ESPN. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. You've got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN, and we are happy to go out to the 101 ESPN hotline to be joined by Joey Vitale. He's the Blues analyst for 101 ESPN and Valley Sports Midwest. He's our great friend, and he joins us each and every Thursday here on the show. Joe, we appreciate the time as always, man. How you doing today? Joey, Joey, Joey. Ah, Fellas, 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 doing great. Just ripping down the highway, just left morning skate. It's a good few days off. I know they're, they're geeked and ready to get back after tonight against a very good Vancouver team. Joe, what did you see from the Blues in their last two games? Because they lost both of them. We know that. Didn't get any points out of it. It, it seemed to me like their overall game was solid. What did you see from them? Yeah, I would agree, BK. And I just got done talking to Drew Bannister about the question, how do you maintain focus and refocus for your group when you played as well as you did over the last six periods with zero results. He said this is be a challenge, uh, but he thinks this group is up for the challenge. You know, to keep reinforcing the positive, to keep showing clips, and to keep talking to players on the side about the good things that are happening, because over time, if you play that well long enough, you're eventually going to find the success, and you're going to start seeing the results, whether it be um, from an individual standpoint for certain players, but definitely as a whole for, for two points, for the St. Louis Blues team that really needs to start mounting some points back up together after dropping the last two. So it, it is a challenge for a coach. It's a challenge for a player, uh, but you have to always focus on uh, the long-term future as far as in the realization that as a player, if you continue to play this way and compl- continue to stay tight defensively, which they have been, um, continue to have your special teams uh, give you a nudge in games and lean on your goaltending uh, outside of that, it's just cleaning up a couple different mis- mistakes in both those games against some very good teams where the Blues know if they clean that up, they should start finding more success. Joe, Drew talked about it yesterday, uh, the difficulty of this upcoming schedule and kind of figuring out what this team is with these matchups. In your opinion, how impactful are these next 10 games for the Blues season? Well, Alex, I mean, listen, I think they're very impactful. I mean, you have Vancouver tonight at home before you go off 
to Carolina. Carolina's playing some a great brand of hockey right now, and then you come home for a four-game swing with the Florida Panthers. They're good. New York Rangers, one of the best. Boston Bruins, one of the best. Even the Philadelphia Flyers, I think, has been the biggest surprise across the National Hockey League. I mean, they're, they're, they're of course, uh, getting their nudge on the Eastern Conference and starting to climb their way up on the Eastern Conference as well. So plenty of teams coming up. And I remember when Drew Bannister took over the job, and they had a couple games there in St. Louis right before the Christmas holidays over the next 10 games. And this was just zero and zero. Brand new coach, healthy coach there. And he said, next 10-game segment, which, of course, now they're, they're about eight games into this segment, five and three with Drew Bannister. He said, this next 10 games is, is going to be tough. And I loved his line at the time. He said, we need tough. We need hard right now because we need to see where we're at. And I think as you approach the two more games of that segment and you enter into the next 10-game segment, of these chapters, uh, it's not getting much easier. And I think that we've seen some great spurts from St. Louis against some heavy teams. And we've seen some lackluster moments too. I think the biggest thing, when you look at the opponents and how good they are, I think what Drew Bannister is learning and what these players continue to learn is you have to play a nearly almost perfect game as close as 60 minutes to give yourself a chance against these good teams. Now, when you go up against the Ottawa Senators, Right? If you're playing the Columbus Blue Jackets, for example, you can get away from your game for 20, 22, 24, 27 minutes. Right? You look at that Colorado team. They got away from their game for maybe eight minutes and then an unfortunate bounce by uh, Devon Taves to seal it up. The Pittsburgh Penguins, I thought they played about 58 minutes almost as well as you can against a very good hockey team. You know, Drew Banister talked about, was it you know, Drew, uh, Scott Prunovich stepping outside the dots there on a pinch that led to the first goal set up by Evgeny Malkin. Was it a dumb penalty by Sammy Blay in the offensive zone he probably shouldn't take? Yeah, and he knows that. But then you put this good power play on, on the ice against three, with, with three or potentially four Hall of Famers one day. Those are things that you shoot yourself in the foot on. And when you're playing good teams, like I mentioned, you really have to play as close to perfect of a game as possible. So that's going to be the test again here tonight as the Canucks come to town. Joey Vitale is our guest for another couple of minutes here on 101 ESPN. You can hear him on the call for Blues versus Canucks. You can also see him occasionally on Bally Sports Midwest, as we did this weekend in pre, post, and intermission. Uh, Joe, I did want to ask you, you mentioned Scott Perunovic. He's, he's had some great moments. He's had some tough moments, as you'd expect for a young defenseman. I remember a couple of years ago, we've used the clip occasionally of you comparing him to Quinn Hughes and how you, you see them both on the ice and you think to yourself, man, I, I think Scott Perunovic can be that kind of a player. What have you seen from him in his game this year? And do you still feel like he has that kind of potential? Well, I mean, listen, I think the injuries have certainly prevented him from taking as big of a step as I think the Blues were hoping he would take. You know, the shoulder injury, the wrist injury, both requiring surgery. He missed basically two years of a development. And I think he's still trying to find his groove. You know, there are spurts and there's moments where it is Quinn Hughes-like. And I think the biggest area is the way he walks the blue line. You know, Kale McCarr does it the best. I think Quinn Hughes is a close second. And Scott Prunovich, when, when he's feeling it, I think at the blue line he is just as deceptive and he, maybe even more in some ways. You know, what I mean by the offensive blue line, when you get it at the offensive blue and he starts to walk, he starts to drag his body across, he does this thing with his shoulders and he kind of opens up and swivels his hips where he can lose a he can lose the opponent winger uh, a blink of an eye. I, I see that in his game. I think the area, if he wants to take the next step from an offensive standpoint, along with walking that blue line, is if he shoots the puck more. I mean, if he becomes more of a shot threat, like Quinn Hughes and Kale McCarr are, 
that's what opens up so many passing lanes for those guys. And I think Scott right now, he's still a little gun-shy about shooting the puck. And you see this with young players. It was with the case for Robert Thomas in his first four seasons with the Blues. He was known as a playmaker. He came into the league as a passer and as a disher and as a assist man. But ever since now, this year, he started shooting the puck more. Not only does he score more goals, he's setting up his teammates to score more goals. So that's where the evolution of Robert Thomas, uh, Scott Prudovich, can certainly learn a little bit from that. You know, because he's got the tendencies, he's got the quickness, he's got the deception, he's got the great body language that can lose a defender at the blue line. If he figures out a way to release his shot more often and find ways to get that puck through the traffic to the front of the net, you know, all of a sudden maybe he ends up the year with five, six, seven, eight goals. Maybe he gets close to 10 goals a year. And as a UFA, I mean, he's going to get paid if he scores 10 goals a year. I mean, that, that's just a fact. So I think for him, continuing just to find the confidence in that he's not only a good passer and playmaker, but he's got a great shot too. And if he can start getting pucks to the net more often, not only is he going to help himself, certainly going to help his teammates too. Joe, at what point as a coach do you say it's time to give him a little bit more responsibility and see what he does with it? You know, I think right now um, it's hard because Colton Prake and Nick Letty have been very steady and good as your top pair. I really like Tory Krug and Justin Falk. And even with Justin Falk hurt, you know, I think that Matthew Kessel came in as a right-handed shot, and I think he's done a very good job. You know, the question becomes, does Scott Prunovich feel confident on the right side? And even if he does, does it really help your team? Is it a smart move to put two players like Tory Krug and Scott Prunovich together? I, I don't know. I, I don't think so at this point, right? I mean, you've got to have a little bit more balance, in my opinion. I think certainly the Blue staff feel the same way. So I think without injuries... Alex, I think he has solidified himself in that bottom pair. You know, if you were to go to a different team next year or the year years after, can he have that opportunity to become a better player? Yes. Can it be what happened with Jake Wallman in Detroit? Absolutely. I mean, Jake Wallman reminds me so much of Scott Prunovich. You know, Jake Wallman was in and out, in and out of the lineup. When he came in, there were some great flashes. Offensively, we ha- he had it. He had a great shot. And he just could not figure out that opportunity here in St. Louis because they were loaded up in the top four. And, and I still think we're loaded up in the top four. I, I can't see Scott Prunovich beating a Tory Crew, Justin Falk, Nick Letty, or Colton Pareko out of, of a top four minute. So he's going to have to continue to learn and evolve and figure out a way essentially at the end of the day, which isn't easy, to maximize his 12 to 13 minutes, um, which is hard because you don't find yourself in the rhythm of the game, but you have to start somewhere and build, build from there. Joe, final question that I've got for you. On the power play tonight, we're expecting to see Colton Pareko on that second unit. It's a change that they decided to make with, with Falk out of the lineup. What are you hoping to see out of Pareko? We haven't seen him on that unit in a while, not for any meaningful amount of time at least. No, it's going to be a little bit of a different look. You know, certainly I think you're going to see more of a shot mentality from Colton. You know, the one thing to keep an eye on is you just don't want him to take any one of his teammates' heads off because – Sometimes that thing could be a wild cannon. And, you know, for him to keep his shots low uh, will be certainly important for him to get through. You know, I had a coach in the minors, um, Gene Riley was his name, actually in college, excuse me. And he would always say, you know, when you're shooting from the point, he would always call it shin high, shin high, right? You've got to shoot around the shins. That's, that gives you um, the best chance for, to get shots through. Uh, I think Colton sometimes can let his shot go a little bit high. I think that's what's kind of hindered him in the past with other coaches here in St. Louis to not it's prevented him from being on the power play because his shots can be so high, maybe at times out of control. So I think to have some good control on his shots and just get pucks through is going to be important. Uh, but listen, he's also a big body that 
um, can get back and defend. You know, certainly you don't want to have all offensive-minded personalities out there where then all of a sudden you're allowing chances against. And, and we have seen in the last handful of games where the opponent's penalty kill has kind of stifled the Blues a little bit, not only by killing them, but also by getting some offensive chances. So I think it's a great advantage to have Colton out there. I think he certainly has earned it. And for him to go out there and just use his gift, his gift is his shot, his gift uh, is to get his feet set to make sure he gets those shots off properly and ultimately keeping them down to uh, create scoring chances in front of the blue paint. And that's one of the areas that Drew Bannister wants to continue to see this team improve on is more bodies and more pucks than that. Joe, looking forward to hearing you on the call tonight. Blues versus Canucks pregame with Alex starts at 6. We'll hear from Joe and Curb starting at 7 o'clock for a big one tonight between the Blues and the Canucks. All the best to you, man. Enjoy the game tonight. We'll talk with you again next week. Sounds good, fellas. Always great catching up with you as well, and we'll talk to you next week. See you, Joe. Joey Vitale, Blues analyst for 101 ESPN, and of course, Valley Sports Midwest as well this season. Appreciate his time as always. Alex, far be it for me to disagree with Joe, and I'm not doing this just because he he got off the air. We've got a limited amount of time. Um, One thing he said there about the Scott Perunovich situation, to your question, I thought it was a really good one, and we'll get into this more later on today. I I don't think the Blues are loaded in the top four. I I don't. I feel like their biggest weakness... One of their biggest weaknesses on the roster right now is that top pairing defenseman next to Colton Pareko. And that is not to suggest that Nick Letty is a bad defenseman. I don't think when you, it's kind of like the, the Cardinals starting rotation, right? Miles Michael is not a bad pitcher. If he's your number three or four starter, he's a perfectly solid starting pitcher. The problem is when he's your number two, yep. because you look at him compared to other teams, number two starters. And you say to yourself, Hey, we're at a disadvantage here. When you look at what the Blues have in their top pair defensively, Colton Pareko compared to the second best defenseman on the top pair for other teams, I feel okay about that, honestly. When you look at Falk and Krug as your second pair defensively, could you be better there? Sure. Do I think you can win with those guys in that spot? Yeah, I think you can. I'm not sure you can win at a really high level with Nick Letty as a top pair defenseman. Mm Mm-hmm. I think if he's your third pair defensively, I think you're fine. I think he's okay there. But I don't think at this point in his career, and this is me just on the outside looking in, my perspective on it, I don't think right now he is that guy. He's probably your best answer there. I don't think right now Scott Perutovich is a better defenseman than Nick Letty. And I understand why they're not making that change today. But I do think what Joe said about uh, Jake Wallman going on and having success elsewhere, Vince Dunn going on and having success elsewhere, these puck-moving defensemen, that leave here and go play better elsewhere when they get bigger opportunities up the lineup, don't make the same mistake again. Don't fall into the same pitfalls of, well, we've got this guy. We're just not really sure how to use him. He's probably not. Fine. Find out. Yeah. If and when you fall out of contention this year, one of the top priorities in my mind should be to find out exactly what it is that you have with Scott Perunovich. Maybe you find out he stinks. He can't play defensively. If you put him in there for 20 minutes a night, he's going to be completely overexposed and he's never going to be a top fair defense, top pair defenseman. Fine. At least now I have answers. This is what the Cardinals have found out. Their young pitchers stink, stink, stunk. They weren't good enough. Dakota Hudson, you got to go. Jake Woodford, you got to go. We cannot continue going down this road with you because we need to find better answers. uh, Jack Flaherty, it's just not going to work here. You got to go somewhere else. Find out if it works for you elsewhere. That's fine. Find out this year with Scott Perunovich. Is it going to work or is it not as a top four defenseman for them? And what Joe said about Wallman and Dunn, I'll ask Blues fans, do you really want that to happen to you for the third time? 
because I don't know if I want that to happen again, especially for how much we've been talking about the top four. And I looked this up on Money Puck. So, like, in terms of expected goals against per 60 minutes, like, pairs that have played more than 400 minutes together, Colton Pareko and Nick Letty are about as good as Quinn Hughes and Philip Ronick defensively. Now, offensively, it's very different. <laughs> it's kind of important. Very, very important. But defensively, you're, you're averaging about 2.7 goals expected against per game. It's fine, but I... I for people that say, like, well, Scott Pernovich isn't ready for it, I could list, like, five or six young defensemen this season that a lot of people came into the year and said, well, he's not ready for it, and you put him up there, and they actually performed. You know what would be a really good top four if it clicks for with Scott Perunovic? Is Perunovic with Pareko and Letty with Falk. Because Letty is playing better than what we're giving him credit for, but when I look at the top pair defensemen in the National Hockey League with like Haskinen and Suter and Taves and McCarr and Gavrikov and Roy at the LA Kings, man, that's what a top pair defenseman looks like. And I'm not sure you have it. Could you get it with Perunovic? I, I personally think so. There are about 35 defensive pairings that have played at least 350 minutes together this year. Among them... Colton Pareko and Nick Letty are second to last in expected goals percentage while on the ice. So what that means is what share of the goals are when the blues are on the ice at five on five, what percentage of the time do you expect the blues to score? It's about 44% of the time when they're on the ice, that is the second worst among the defensemen that are on the ice a ton. So the only, by the way, for what it's worth, the only defensive pairing that's worse is the Wallman pairing in Detroit. So uh, they have not played particularly well so far yeah, this year, but that's, Wallman's a forward. Yeah. He's Alex. True. That's T-Bone on BK. If you missed any of our conversation with Joey Vitale, it's always good to get different perspectives. I know last night on the fast lane, uh, Jamie Rivers had a very differing perspective than what we've given on the, the midday show as well. All, all of them, I believe, worthwhile. Check that out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com. The free 101 ESPN app is where you go to find it. It is all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Center. Coming up in 10 minutes, we'll get to the conversation we were going to have here before we switch to Joey Vitale. Would you sign up for Victor Scott to have a career that mirrors that of D. Strange Gordon? We'll get into that coming up at the top of the hour. Questions and answers is next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe it's PK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. Six four six is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. If you guys have any questions, get them in now on the Air Comfort Service text line. All right, let's start with this from the three one four boys. Do you think that the Cardinals are too patient? No. Oh, and is that practice genuine or is it tied to the payroll? Uh, I don't think that the Cardinals are too patient. I think right now what you're saying is that they actually got maybe a little too aggressive uh, with their pursuits in the free agent market. Because boy, that Lance. Gibson were going to get gobbled up if they didn't jump in on that market. Apparently, as we see, the pitching market has just really flown off the board. Everybody needs those then. guys. I, I will say that the bottom tier, the bottom rung of pitchers have mostly been signed at this point, or good amount of them have. So um, they might not have been wrong. Like the Lucas Giolitos, the the guys that are on the one-year deals, a lot of them have legitimately signed by now. So they, they might have been correct in their reading of that market. I do think there are also guys that are still available though, that they could have gone out there and acquired, but neither here nor there. Uh, I, I think that they are 
I don't think the patience is the problem. I think it is a lack of aggression that is the problem. And what I mean by that is like, I don't think it's about the waiting versus going out and doing something. It's about whether or not they're actually going to do something, regardless of the timing of when see, that happens. See, I don't think it's patience or anything. I think, you know, in the, and you know in the uh, Moneyball movie where, like, they're in their meeting and they throw names up on the whiteboard and the magnets stick? Yeah. I think John Mozeliak and company have names up on that whiteboard, and those are the only names they're targeting in free agency, like Sonny Gray, Lance Lynn, Kyle Gibson. Those are our guys. And they contact them early, and they say, call us when you're ready to make a deal. There's some value in that, by the way. Like, I don't but think I that's can, inherently a bad thing. But I think the bad part is they're not open to exploring guys that they might not pursue in the past. So that that's the part that I will agree with you on, which is it almost feels like when, when they fit their needs, they fill their needs, they're done. Yeah, lack there of is, creativity. There is no, okay, we've got our needs filled. What are our wants? What are our reaches, right? And instead of going out and trying to explore those options, they just sit back and are like, okay, our needs, our needs are done. We're good. We, we don't have anything else that we need to accomplish. Satisfy them early and enjoy your offseason. And I think they're right. Like, if their goal this year is to win 85-plus games or at least be on that pace by the trade deadline and then bolster the team to get to 90, get into the playoffs. I think you can do that with this current roster. I do. In this division, I think that is possible. Can you, given the way that they operate at the trade deadline, acquire the type of starting pitcher that you're going to need in order to compete at a high level once you get into the playoffs? I think the answer to that question is no, and that's why I'd be exploring those options right now. So I'd be looking for my version of Chris Sale, my version of Tyler Glass now. And I just, I really lack faith that they're going to do that right now. Yeah, I 100% agree with you. I, I And I think that's where it is, whether you want to call it a want, um, the lack of creativity. We Again, we talked about it. Why were they, I don't want to say why were they not in on the sale deal. I don't know if they had the pieces to match up with the sale deal. But can you do something that's the equivalent of that? Where you get creative and you send out a, pros, like a prospect that's got six years of control for a guy that's, got one year and he's coming back from an injury that has like a legitimate like ceiling of holy crap that guy could be a number two and though the downside could be yeah he never never pitches for you because he deals with injuries and that's kind of my thing for him is when you look at those ones sometimes when you look at once you got to get creative like the Atlanta Braves did and I don't know if we've really seen this front office this this tenure of Mo really ever do that maybe you give him credit for the Montgomery deal when they traded Bader but that's the one exception uh, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service X line for questions and answers. Guys, did you see what the big announcement was today for the St. Louis Cardinals? Alex, did you see it? Adam Wainwright touring? <laughs> no. Uh, Joe Buck was there. He announced that Sting and Billy Joel are coming to St. Louis next yeah, what a, year. What, this a, year. What, a, what a weird person to announce it, right? Like, I understand why, but just was really luck i know but it was random like how often do we hear joe book making announcements at bush stadium it's a big deal apparently he only comes out you like hey, you got the heavy hitter here. only the good die young is that a song it's billy joel i, I understand i'm trying to understand how it doesn't applies. i just felt like i wanted to throw a song out there <laughs> okay are you gonna go to this oh absolutely i'm 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 dumb enough not to spend the money to go see him the last time he was at Bush Stadium, or I think it was Enterprise Center when Billy Joel was here. I don't really care about Sting, could care less about Sting. I want to see Billy Joel. So, yes, I, I will be hoping I can go to this. Now, going to it is very different. I, I don't know Sting, and I know two Billy Joel songs. Oh my God, I love Billy Joel. 
And like, I love his songs that aren't the Piano Man. Really? Yeah. Like, Piano Man's good, but there are so many other songs that like are Like, We just, Didn't Start the Fire? That is a great one. That's the only other one. There you go. T-Bone's got us, too. He's out. My life? <laughs> Outside Come that. on, man. No, never heard of it. 314-399-9646 is the time. Air Comfort Service text line to get involved in the show. Coming up in about 15 no, minutes or so, we'll get into some NFL quick hitters. But next, I want to hear from you guys. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. You guys can always get involved on the YouTube chat as well. YouTube.com slash 101 ESPN STL. Would you sign up? For Victor Scott to become basically the equivalent for the Cardinals, what D. Strange Gordon was in his major league career. Alex, we'll talk through this and I'll explain why I came up with that comparison. Coming up next, you're on 101 ESPN. It's only a kick, a jump, a block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the icon of vacations. Icon of the seas. Arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry Bahamas. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. and T-Bone on BK. You got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. So Victor Scott is one of the more intriguing talents in the Cardinals system right now, Alex. I'm not sure anybody improved their stock within the Cardinals farm system more than Victor Scott did this year. He started out the season at high A, finished at double A, and over the course of the year, uh, hit 300 with an OPS of almost 800. Now, this is not a guy with huge power. Had nine home runs this year in 132 games. But... Finished the season with 94 stolen bases in 132 games and plays legit gold glove caliber defense. So he is somebody that ended up in the 2023 futures game as a result of all of those exciting talents that he possesses. And he's somebody that we could very well see in the Cardinals lineup by the end of this upcoming season, if all goes according to plan. So he's somebody on the Cardinals fans radar. And Alex, yesterday I was reading over at Fangraphs.com. They're Zips projections, right? We talked about these a little bit the other day. And for those not familiar, it's basically just a projection system that goes through. And based on past performance and historical comparisons, it tries to project what players can or will be down the road. For Victor Scott, they put together three hitting comparisons. Now, this is just based on what they are as a hitter profile, not necessarily what their overall thing is. But... For Victor Scott, one of the comparisons was D. Strange Gordon. And I thought to myself, man, that's that's actually a pretty good comparison stylistically. Now, I don't know if he's going to be better or worse than D. Strange Gordon was in his career, but I could see how that fits to what Victor Scott's game is. So, Alex, in D. Strange Gordon's career, he was a two-time All-Star. From 2011 to 2019, which is basically the entirety of his prime, he slashed 290 as a batting average, 320 as the on-base percentage, so he did not walk very often, and 365 as his slug. 
overall roughly 10% below league average offensively. But he averaged 55 stolen bases per full season that he played. And he was a decent, if not great, defender. He played mostly second base. I think that is the biggest difference between Gordon and what you're expecting out of Victor Scott is Scott's going to have a lot more value defensively. If I told you that Victor Scott will be a better defender, but overall roughly the same in terms of the hitting profile as D. Strange Gordon, Alex, would you hit the button today to lock that in? Or are you hoping for a little something more out of Victor Scott and his Cardinals career? I mean, I'm actually hoping for a little something more. Don't get me wrong. I like I loved D Gordon, especially in those Miami years. Like he was a fun player to watch. And I mean, when you lead the league in one year hitting, you lead the league three years in stolen bases. You're talking about somebody who is a very impactful player. But part of me feels like I'm, I'm hoping for a little bit more offense from Victor Scott. I'm li- hoping for a little bit more of somebody who consistently is a threat at the plate rather than just maybe like a, a, a small sample size. So I can understand hitting the button, but I think with my upside, and maybe this is just me falling for John Mosellock selling a prospect once again, I think I'm hoping for a little bit more from Victor Scott. See, I, I would press the button on this, and I the reason I would do it, and forget the stats for the player I'm about to bring up, is when I think of Victor Scott and what I think the future is for him, I hope that he is playing in the role of what Harrison Bader should have had here in St. Louis, which is he's going to be a great defensive player out in center field, going to have a little bit of charisma, whether that is with the personality or with just the ability to play gold glove defense in center. And if he ends up hitting like 280 and getting on base at 320, being able to steal those bases as well to add kind of a flair to his game as well. So I, I don't think you should be expecting him to like develop into being a leadoff hitter or a guy that hits like, two or fifth in a lineup like I think the best case scenario is he's probably hitting right around the same range as where Mason Wynn is but he's playing gold glove level defense hitting for a decent average you would hope but he gets on when he does get on base whether that's average maybe ends up being a guy that does develop into taking uh, more balls and getting on base via the walk is every time he's on base he's a threat there so I, I would absolutely hit this button because though D Strange Gordon was never a great player he was the kind of player that a team needs that when he does get on base he's feisty willing to steal hit good and hit be be a decent defender yeah i i think people when they look at d strange gordon the biggest thing they're going to look at if you're analytically inclined is you're going to say to yourself all right well he wasn't that great defensively and therefore his wins above replacement number was not very high over the course of his career all true and i expect victor scott to be better defensively and at a more premium position than what d gordon was d gordon was mostly a second baseman eventually he kind of moved out to center field occasionally but he he was a second baseman for the vast majority of his career but man if you're telling me that i'm going to get a guy that's going to hit 290 for the majority of his career and he's going to do that out of the nine hole for this cardinals team and you're going to be able to surround that with Lars Newbar and Jordan Walker and Brendan Donovan and Nolan Gorman and Wilson Contreras. Like, dude, I'm hitting the button. This is a good player. It's not an all-star on a perennial basis, but I don't need every prospect to become an all-star. Sometimes it's okay to just lock in, hey, this guy's going to be good. That's good enough. If I can just guarantee that I'm getting a plus defender that's going to steal 50 bags a year for me and he's going to do that out of my nine hole... Hell yeah, I'm signing up for that, dude, because I'm preventing the chance of him just being a bust. And we have to be honest here, man, as excited as I am and as excited as Cardinals fans should be about Victor Scott, 
the downside, like the 20th percentile outcome of his career is that he's a 4A player that ends up being not good enough offensively and is just like a a fourth out, a Richie Palacios, for example. That's what he could very well become. And there's nothing wrong with becoming that. He is going to be one of the, what, thousand best position players in the world at what he's trying to do. That is no harm in being, but it's really freaking hard to have success offensively at this level. And if he just has a ton of contact, struggles to walk, doesn't get a ton of walks out there, so his on-base percentage is lower than you want, and doesn't have a ton of power in his bat, so the slugging percentage never gets to where you're hoping for, yeah, I'm signing up for that, dude, because I think that's a really good player for what this specific team needs. If I could plug in a borderline gold glover right now with a ton of speed that just creates havoc on the bases game-to-game for this team, oh, do it in a heartbeat. Where do I sign up? So, yeah, I'm hitting the button. I know that there's going to be a lot of people that will disagree with it, that will want more, and I totally understand that. But for me personally, I, I would love to see Victor Scott becoming, for this team, what D. Strange Gordon was for the vast majority of his career. Look, as long as he's not like a Magnera Sierra or something like that, I think it's a success well, for the, the Cardinals. that's the thing is Mag Sierra, there was a point in time where Cardinals fans were in love with what that I, guy's potential could but be. But it was never about the hitting with him. It was always about the speed and the base running. Yeah. But the problem was if you're not hitting, you're not getting on base and you're a, a soul pinch. Exactly. Aroldis Chapman was the other one or not. Um, Adolis Chapman. Is that, a, I don't know. There was a, there was a, uh, Adolis Garcia. No, not He's Adolis Garcia. Good. He's pretty good. There was another Charles Tillman might be the one chambers. Maybe. Adrian Chambers, Adrian Chambers, that's like the 11. one I was thinking of where it was not one where it was like, he's got all the speed. You thought that this guy could be somebody that's impactful for you and the offense never hit. So that's where the Victor Scott thing comes into play here. Like to be this player that we're hoping for, you're going to have to hit, which and, is why Gordon is a good comp. And I do think Victor Scott is a better hitter than Mag Sierra was. Yeah, I, he this year was more successful in the minor leagues than Mag Sierra was when he got to the higher levels of the minors here with the St. Louis Cardinals. So to be fair to him, I don't think his floor is as low as Mag Sierra was. Mag Sierra could not hit at the big league level. Like he was incompetent as a hitter at this level and he was unplayable accordingly. I don't think that is in play for Victor Scott, at least based on the way that he currently profiles. Someone brought up Michael Harris. That Oh, whoa, I don't know whoa, if you're whoa, getting whoa, whoa. to that. Michael Harris has power. That's what I'm That's saying. I don't difference. know if you're getting to that. And I know what he hit like. 20 between two places this past year, but I think that's a lofty expectation. Victor for, Scott, Victor yeah. Scott hit nine. Thought In I, his minor league career, he has 11 home runs. Oh, that okay. that he, yeah. he is not a home run type of a hitter. You, your expectation should basically be nothing power-wise mm-hmm. early on in his major league career. Maybe he develops into more of that, but early on in his career, I, I don't think that's realistic to expect. Vic, Michael Harris, the second, hit 20 home runs last year in the big leagues. I Let's let's not compare him to Michael Harris yet. Let's let's kind of no, reel man. it in in that. No, I say jump into it. And I I not sure he should be judged, Scott, in terms of what his like OPS plus is. Like that's the thing that we look at a lot. And that like D Strange Gordon, you mentioned him. He was ten percent below league average in that time frame that we're looking at at a ninety OPS plus. So that's not what you're going to be judged by. His is going to be on and people are going to hate this, his war is going to be judged by basically his defense and his stealing ability. Because you think of Tommy yeah. Edmond. Tommy Edmond, really good war player. I mean, what was it, two years ago? He's like had top five war in baseball. Tommy Edmond's not an offensive threat, but, man, he's so good defensively and he's so versatile, and then he's like an average offensive player at the plate. 
That's what makes him so valuable. So Victor Scott's value is going to come in a I mean, different line work. Tommy Edmond, just for comparison's sake, was basically offensively over the last four seasons what D. Strange Gordon was offensively in his major league career. They went about it a little differently. Uh, Tommy Edmond got on base a little bit more in terms of the walk rate, which is crazy because Tommy Edmond does not walk a ton either and had a little more power so far in his career than what D. Strange Gordon did in his, but the batting average was a little lower than D. Strange Gordon was. When you put it all into the wash, though, offensively, they basically were the same guys in terms of what they were giving you production-wise. So that's a pretty good comparison as well. Like, for the fans that did not watch a ton of D. Strange Gordon, I don't blame you, he didn't play here in St. Louis. But if if you're not familiar with his game, just think offensively in terms of what they did with the bat to what Tommy Edmond has done, but with a lot more value on the bases, much more speed and a guy that's going to consistently give you, you know, 40 plus stolen bases on a year in year out basis. That's what Victor Scott could be. So I'd sign up for it. I would take that today and I would give up whatever the other upside is that could be still maintained by not hitting the button with Victor Scott the second. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we're talking to a Vancouver Canucks insider to get his perspective on how this all came together for the Canucks. Is any of this real? Because the advanced analytics nerds, they all think this is a fake mirage where (laughs) this is going to come crumbling down on Vancouver before the end of the season. Does Patrick feel that way? We'll talk to him about that coming up in about 15 minutes or so. NFL Quick Hitters is next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's dive into some NFL quick hitters alongside Alex Ferrario. He's great at his job. That's Tanner Hendrickson, and I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and yeah. Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Trying to smooth this one over, you jerk. Alex is really good at his job, and he's going to tell you coming up later on this evening on the pregame show about a Blues player that is probably under the radar in conversations to be in a trophy you know conversation. What, I don't let's even let's need you doing this, so let's move on. If you listened to the fast lane yesterday, you heard it. Uh, all right. Oh, oh. <laughs> oh, that one. People don't even know what happened behind the scenes, but that was the ultimate kick him while he's down. Coming up in 10 minutes or so, we'll talk to Patrick Johnston. He's going to tell us about this Canucks team and whether or not they're frauds because all of the nerds believe that they are. <laughs> but first, let's dive into some NFL quick hitters. All right, Alex, let's get into this. So I don't know if you guys have seen this, but there is an NFLPA survey that came out today. According to the players that were surveyed, who would you guess is the number one defensive coordinator in the NFL? I already heard this, so go on to the next topic. Jim Schwartz. No. Dang it. I'll give you one more guess. He's not even in the top five. What? Yep. <laughs> well, I know this survey stinks. Bill Belichick. Uh, who would be number one? I don't even... Is it, uh, oh, you said Schwartz is Cleveland's oh, what, who's guy, Baltimore's right? Baltimore's uh-huh. defensive coordinator? He's not on this list either. McDonald's. What? Um, Aaron Glenn is the number one defensive coordinator on this list. The defensive coordinator for the Detroit Lions. As we continue here, the what? rest of the top five. This is according to the players oh, that were the, surveyed. The Jets are absolutely on top five. Steve Wilkes with the 49ers. Dan Quinn with the Cowboys. Brian Flores with the Vikings. And your boy, Raheem Morris, with the He's L.A. Rams. Four of those five make Man, a lot of sense to I me. I forgot Aaron Brian Glenn Flores. Aaron Glenn at number one is shocking to be on this list. Yeah, I'm... 
he is that is baffling because I when I think of the reason why I don't trust the Lions in the playoffs, it's their defense, yeah. <laughs> and, and then it's Jared Goff. But yes, it's the defense that's number one. Brian Flores should be number one. I mean, I love Brian Vikings Flores. defense was terrible last year. I hope somebody hires him. I hope he gets another chance to be a head coach somewhere. I don't know if it would work. I hope he has a job where the quarterback is in place and they already have confidence because he seems like a tough guy to play for. Um, but yeah, he's, you don't he's believe it, ask Tua. I, I'm a little <laughs> I'm a little surprised by Steve Wilkes' name being in there, but the more I thought about it as you said that, I was like, okay, you know what? He has proven in the past to be a good coordinator. He just cannot be the guy that's also, the don't head coach. go to the defensive side on the college level and don't be a head coach at the NFL so Dan yeah. Quinn's kind of surprising like they started off as an awesome defense but man they've took a massive step backwards they have he's gonna get a head coach job somewhere yeah um yeah. I'll be don't think that's gonna work either to see how it goes all right uh on Probably the offensive Carolina. coordinator side of things I'm not gonna have you guys guess these because I think there's a roughly zero percent chance that you get any of the top four and that's no shot against you guys and Johnson it's got to be Cleveland no, not on the top five it's got to be Cleveland's that's found a way to get uh, no not in the top five Um, Buffalo well no no, their coordinator was Frank Smith the offensive coordinator from the Miami Dolphins he's gonna get a job somewhere I think does he do anything I was gonna say what does he do Tyreek Hill does it all apparently people really like this Frank Smith guy I heard him as a dark horse candidate to get the sounds like an alias with with the Carolina (laughs) Panthers Speaking of the Carolina Panthers, at number two on this list. Get the hell out. No, you're not. I swear to you. you? Thomas Brown, the offensive coordinator who got the job like midway through the season and then had his coordinator duties. And then bring it back. (laughs) So he he basically got whacked across the hand because he didn't like the way that he was calling plays. How is that the top offensive coordinator? I don't know, man. Brian Schottenheimer, the Cowboys offensive coordinator. I didn't even know he was still in the league. He doesn't even call plays. (laughs) Brian Callahan with the Cincinnati Bengals and Kellen Moore at number five on this list. Only one of those guys calls plays. (laughs) I'm still baffled by the dude who basically everybody's saying Bryce Young is the worst trade in NFL history, gets the top offensive coordinator role. So... For all of the talk about how the players should be the ones that make what all a crappy these lists, list. they should be the ones that determine all. Yo, these lists are terrible. <laughs> That's awful. Their top 100 players list that comes out in the summer on NFL Network is trash, and their top offensive and defensive coordinators list that came out right now also trash. Guys, I don't want to hear about how the players should be determining guys, all of this stuff I don't stuff even anymore. think Thomas Brown is going to have a job with the Panthers after this season. Of course he's not. Everybody on that staff is But he's the fired. second best offensive coordinator? He might not get an OC job next year. He might yeah. be reverted back to being a running backs coach. Maybe I'm jumping the gun here on this reaction. No. But I think I've concluded that when the survey showed up in the mail, the players went, ah, I don't want to do this. And went just circle, 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 circle. that I know. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Oh, Frank Smith. You think (laughs) Thomas Brown? They they probably said, ah, he's got a good offense. No, they felt bad for them. I don't know about the Thomas Brown one. And then they they submitted it and they went, oh, wait, that's Mike McCarthy's offense. Oh. (laughs) Wait, Brian Sean. Oh, Oh, wait, I was thinking back in 2011. All right. A couple other things real quick. Did you guys see the Pro Bowl list yesterday? Yeah, <laughs> this is how much I care about the Pro Bowl list. They had a Pro Bowl list yesterday. <laughs> uh, so Josh Allen didn't make it. Oh, he doesn't get to go play dodgeball. <laughs> Wait, what? I'm sorry, man. The AFC's quarterbacks are Tua, Lamar and Patrick Mahomes. Do you think that Josh Allen should have made it over one of them? <laughs> After Patrick Mahomes? Absolutely. <laughs> Has Patrick Mahomes thrown more than 12 touchdowns this season? Yeah, he's had an okay year. It's 25. You know, I was a little surprised that didn't get on the list. And, and then I saw, like, Mahomes has actually thrown for quite a bit of yards. Was C.J. Stroud. 
little surprised he got overlooked on this list yeah. for the quarterback spot. I think him missing so many games probably was what did it. The um, funny thing is, is well, <laughs> him missing those games, he was still better than at started, least two of those quarterbacks. He started 14 games. If he starts this week, he's going to miss three. Other guys that were notably absent from the list, Brandon Ayuk, wide receiver for the San Francisco 49ers, who had a fantastic season. I, I don't know who you take off for him, though. Like the, the wide receivers in the NFC were just really good this year. CeeDee Lamb, A.J. Brown, Mike Evans, and Puka Nakua. Are you, are you putting him in over Puka Nakua? No. Nope. I guess. I, I don't know, man. It, it, it's tough to do that. So. Yeah. I actually think the list is mostly okay this season. I I think you can make an argument for like Antoine Winfield Jr. making it over uh, one of the safeties in the NFC, probably Buda Baker. But other than that, I think they did a pretty good job with this list, guys. Should have put is Travis Kelsey on this list? He is. Yeah, I was to say because otherwise you got to bring some hype to your Pro yeah, Bowl, there, and that's telling Taylor Swift there. There had to be a better tight end. Does Taylor Swift play dodgeball? Probably. I'm sure she'd be. Great, they should do a celebrity dodgeball. If you mess up, that, awesome. that. If you mess up that dome, though, you're in trouble. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, I had one of my worst nights ever yesterday. I'll explain it coming up in about 15 minutes or so. But next, Patrick Johnston will join the show to discuss if he sees anything in the blues that reminds him of a few years ago with the Canucks. And is this Canucks team a total fraud? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. We are happy to go out to the 101 ESPN hotline to help us preview tonight's game between the Blues and the Canucks. It is Patrick Johnston on the other side of the line. He is the Canucks reporter for the province and the Vancouver Sun. You can follow him on Twitter. He is at Rising Action. Patrick, we appreciate the time. Thank you so much for hopping on with us today. How you doing, my friend? I am great. Uh, we're very happy to be here, guys. How are we doing? Uh, doing all right. So the Canucks have had a fantastic start to the season so far, but uh, Patrick, the the nerdy numbers seem to suggest that it's all a mirage <laughs> and that eventually it's going to come <laughs> crashing down on the Vancouver Canucks. You watch this team on a night in night out basis, though. How real is what you're watching from them, in your opinion? Well, let's just say that uh, the mirage is—it's like there's a there's a beautiful cake, right? The cake is great. You love the cake. The mirage is like what's on the very top of one. The Canucks have had a great season. A lot of what they're doing is very much, or a lot of their success is very much about what they have been doing. Um, they are running very hot when it comes to actually scoring goals. And so I think more than anything, that's kind of what we've been dialing in on. And as you said, the nerdy numbers, no, there's no way they're going to keep scoring this many goals. It can't possibly carry on. Can't keep getting away with this. It. <laughs> so, no, they've been playing great hockey, very solid in the back, breaking the puck out well, you know, all the stuff you need to do. And l- listen, they have had some luck 
getting some goals, but they've also just got a lot of talent up front. And uh, and so so this team has been driven by the efforts of Elias Patterson, by the efforts of J.T. Miller, by the efforts of Quinn Hughes, and obviously in the back end, like they, this defense core has been playing as well, probably better than anybody expected, and they're getting the goaltending. So, I mean, it's, it's an incredible mix right now. They're probably not going to keep scoring as many goals as they have, but that just means they're going to have to start winning one goal games as opposed to winning games by two or three goals. You know, Patrick, here in St. Louis, we're talking so much about, you know, this retool that the Blues are in and how fast they can get out of it. And, you know, looking at the Vancouver Canucks, they didn't do it in like the blow it up and rebuild. They kind of did their own retool to where, you know, they were competitive for a couple of years and then all of a sudden they burst onto the scene as a first place team. How did they accomplish that? Well, I think a lot of it to understand, honestly, is finally finding the right coach. Uh, and I would say a word, I will steal a word that, uh, you know, management here likes to use, the alignment. GM Patrick Elvine and President Jim Rutherford love talking about alignment. There's a real sense from top to bottom of what they're trying to do. That, that the guys in the AHL, Ryan Johnson, you know, ex-Blue Ryan Johnson, has been, become a big figure here uh, running the AHL team. He's been doing that for years. He's a big figure in the front office. But but for a long time, you know, he he wouldn't say it outright, but you, you could tell by what he was saying. He would feel frustration in terms of how the, the sort of AHL team and the development program were kind of set aside, and they weren't focused in from the top. Management wasn't all that focused on what it really all meant. But now... This is a group that's come from Pittsburgh. So much of the Penguin success under Rutherford, you know, six, seven years ago, winning the Stanley Cup was about the fact that they took development that, you know, that guys from, uh, you know, on the bottom end of your roster, you need to find internally, you need to develop sort of lower end prospects into solid players. Uh, and, and at the top of all that, you needed a coach who had a system that made sense, who the players believed in and, and were lined up with and, and, Rick Tockett is an absolutely fantastic story, and I don't mind saying that at this point. You know, obviously, the, the example I've been saying this morning, he, you know, Kelly Chase posting about Rick coming to visit him in hospital last night. I mean, what a story. And and Rick is that guy. He is authentic. He cares about people. He, he cares about his players. He cares about people beyond his team. He just wants everyone to feel good, everyone to succeed. He's trying to figure out who people are and, and he really gets on their terms, right? He doesn't come in saying, you got to be like this, you got to be like this. He comes in and says, how can I make you be the best person you are and how can I set you up for success? And he has just been such an incredible story this season. So, yeah, I mean, you're right. There's kind of a funny, slow build here. They obviously found some top-end talent. I've already mentioned Hughes, Patterson, uh, Demko, all guys they drafted. They obviously traded for JT Miller uh, well, five years ago now, which is wild to think about. Um, but, you know, they, they've hit some real home runs at the top end of the lineup, but but they finally have found some really good stuff. There were some really good moves in the offseason to, to build out the depth, and they've got this coach who really has things coming. It's, it's in- been a great story here. It's interesting, Patrick, that you mentioned it, it took the right coach to be able to get that out of them. Yeah. When you looked at it over the last couple of seasons and they go through three different coaches in what is essentially a one-year span, was there yeah. questions in your mind of, hey, is the group of players actually the problem? Did that go through your mind and through Vancouver's fans' minds, or was it always, a, hey, just get the right coach in here. This is going to be fine. 
Well, you look at the turnover on defense. You look at the defense core that that Travis Green had when you know when he, before he was let go at the beginning of December 2021, and uh, there there is a question that hangs out there from uh, one of our colleagues here, Jeff Patterson, who who asked. Travis at his last press conference we had with him about penalty killing and the Canucks' penalty killing was atrocious at the end of Green's tenure. You know, what about the players you have? And, and Green said, well, this is who we have. And, I, you know, I don't think he, he was ever publicly frustrated with the, with the roster he was had it, but there was a lot of, there was just a lot of stuff they didn't need or, you know, depth players who didn't add anything or there wasn't guys you could fill out. They didn't have an Ian Cole. Carson Susie, I mean, who's been injured, but Carson Susie didn't have a Carson Susie. They didn't have a Nikita Zadorov. You know, I would say the biggest criticism you could have about Jim Bob, there are many things criticized about Jim Benning, but Jim Benning really liked the look of players, but he wasn't great at understanding what players actually did. And and this management team has been a, a lot better at that. You know, they turned over in the end. They kept kept turning over the roster. They haven't sat on players. So so don't get me wrong. It's not just about the coach, but it is. It, it, you know, it is about finding the players. But yeah, I mean, Travis Green had sort of I think run to the end of his rope. Coach has only thing, so many things to say. You guys know that story very well with, with what's happened with Craig Berube. You know, Bruce Boudreau came in. He was a breath of fresh air in terms of personality, in terms of sort of mentality but not a great tactical systems coach. There was things that happened or things that weren't happening defensively that were leading to a lot of the problems that happened last year. This team couldn't kill penalties with bleeding chances against. Um, talk it and, and, you know, Adam Foote has been an interesting story. Adam Foote is Talkett's main assistant. He brought, brought him in when uh, Talkett got hired at the end of January last year. Foote didn't have a lot of high-end coaching experience. He coached his kids' team. He had been a development coach for the, the Avalanche. He had sort of one year that didn't go very well at all in, in the Western Hockey League. Um, and he came in, and, and he's a guy that Talkett said, listen, this guy thinks the game really well. I want to see if he can become a coach. I asked Talkett uh, before Christmas. I was doing a story on foot. I said, how, how far has Adam come as a coach? And Rick looked at me and he said, about a million percent. You know, this is a guy that recognizes talent and he's figured out ways to make them better than what they have been. And if you look at players like JT Miller or like Quinn Hughes or Elias Pettersson, all three of those guys have taken their game to a new level and are, are an amazing story. And it, it, you would be, you know, you would be wrong uh, if you ignore the influence of Talkett and all this. He's been such a good story, like I said, off the top. You know, they, they, in the end, the players need to change as well, but the coach is the biggest part of the story here, I think. We're talking with Patrick Johnson, uh, Canucks reporter for the province in Vancouver's Sun. So, so you mentioned Quinn Hughes there, Patrick, and this is this is a player, and I'm not sure how much you've seen of Scott Perunovich's career or when he's played, but this was a player that when the Blues drafted him and when they started to develop him, everybody talked like, hey, he could be somebody like a Quinn Hughes. What what happened with Quinn Hughes's game to where you said, like, hey, he has now stepped into that status? And what when you hear another team or another person say, like, this guy could be a Quinn Hughes, what does that look like? Uh, I mean, he's a guy that uh, he's got the drive, you know, that you always want to see in your elite players, right? You've got guys who've got the talent, but they don't necessarily all, always have the passion. He has that passion. He came out of last season looking around what his team needed to be. I think he was challenged by Tockett, said, listen, I think you can be you, – I, I love who you are, and I think you can be a whole other level of player. So, you know, especially early in the season. We, we haven't seen this so much lately, and I think partly maybe because he got worn down. The Canucks played 
an insane schedule coming into Christmas. No team played more games between Halloween and Christmas than the Vancouver Canucks. And I think Hughes hit the wall a little bit. But before that, he was driving the net. He was taking shots. There were nights when he was having something like 12 shot attempts a night, and that's from the blue line, right? Like, here's a guy who was using his feet to put himself into a chance uh, position to score, and he was scoring, and he was driving the bus on the power play. He just looked at what he had, and I think what he had in his skill set, and said, I want to be like this guy. We think of how, like, Kale McCarr just absolutely dominates shifts. I think Hughes went and looked at that and said, I can be that too. And he's been that quality of player. Um, and, and, you know, some of it, too, is he's had a very interesting partnership with Phil Hronick, who the Canucks picked up from the Red Wings last year. Hronick, you know, also an offensive-minded defenseman, good puck skills, a guy who could put put the puck on the tape. And, like, literally, we mean that, right? Like, that, that's such a thing that is underrated in, in as an ability. You know, every pass is exactly where Hughes needs it to be. Hronick is great at opening lanes for Hughes and great at, giving him the puck when he needs to be, and also being a, an effective partner that the two of them, you know, when they are getting the offensive zone, which they are a lot, and that's what you want, they're great at running the top of the top of the slot, great at creating space, finding holes, finding the guys down low. You know, just the, it's not even, it's not even, the word is not transformation. It's evolution, growth, and that's everything that Hughes has been this year. He's, he's been the player that he was when he was younger, plus, you know, plus, plus, plus. Patrick Johnston covers the Canucks for the province and the Vancouver Sun. You can follow him on Twitter. He is at Rising Action. Patrick, we appreciate the time as always, man. Thank you so much for hopping on with us today. Enjoy the game tonight, and hopefully we'll talk with you again soon. Thanks, guys. Great to be here. Thanks, Absolutely. Patrick. And I hope your team doesn't come crumbling down. The Canucks, it, it, it's a good story, so hopefully yeah, this is not a numbers. true barrage. <laughs> yeah. No, they're going to they're gonna keep going. I mean, the, the, the fact they're in this battle with Vegas and L.A., no one expected that, but they're for real, and they're going to keep going here. Totally agree. Awesome. All right, that's uh, Patrick Johnson. Appreciate his time hopping on with us today. Alex, the biggest thing that I took away from that conversation with him was actually what he said at the very beginning yeah, about alignment. alignment. Yep, mine too. I think if we're just being totally candid, upfront and honest, we had some questions for two years now, three years. Probably two years is about what I would put it at, of <laughs> – the alignment between Doug Armstrong and Craig Burby and how they viewed what the future of the Blues looked like. Because when you hear Craig Burby talk, and this is not to say that he can't adjust, he won't adjust, the type of player that he looks for is very specific. And it doesn't mean that he can't have speed or anything like that, but it's always about compete, right? It's always about forecheck. It's always about those types of things. When you hear Doug Armstrong talk about players in the past and hell, don't even listen to what he says. Listen to what he does, the actions. He goes and gets Tory Krug. He gets Justin Falk. He gets Mike Hoffman. He gets Jakub Vrana. Like, he's bringing in these very skilled players that fit a certain way. But that's the part that's confusing, but he still talks about compete, though. Because, I, like, no matter the player that you get, they have to have compete. That is a prerequisite to play at the NHL level. And if we're being honest, like, some of those guys that we just mentioned didn't have that. And that's why... You see Mike Hoffman, who's not done particularly well since the Blues picked him up. You see a guy like Yaku Brana, who's in the AHL, despite every team in the league having an opportunity to pick him up. So it's not just a Craig Berube problem. I'm, I, I would be remiss if I didn't mention that. But I do wonder if there was always alignment there in the way that the Blues wants to play with whatever the next version of this team looks like, as opposed to always trying to recreate something that resembled the 2019 Blues. 
if if that's what's happening in Vancouver is that alignment from top to bottom. And I think that's what's happening at Mizzou. I think Mizzou right now has alignment from top to bottom, from the chancellor of the university all the way down to the position coaches, down to the players. It filters through from top to bottom. Except Blake Baker. Unfortunately. <laughs> When things are going well organizationally in any walk of life, this could be in your sales staff, within a company, corporation, it could be within a hockey operation. It needs to be alignment from top to bottom. I don't know if that was there anymore at the end of the Craig Berube era. Whatever the next coach is, whoever it is, that has to be something that is in place. I think the other thing you have to take away from what he said, though, too, is... Vancouver brought in another mindset that the general manager, like he mentioned Jim Benning. Jim Benning was the GM for Vancouver, and that wasn't working with the Travis Green and the Bruce Boudreau. And Jim Rutherford took over, and he talked about how like he brought some of his Pittsburgh Penguins mindsets yeah. to the Vancouver Canucks to where they didn't sit on certain players, and they went out there, and they were aggressive with it. I'm not sitting here advocating for Doug Armstrong. I'm just saying... He's talking about alignment, and it's got to be an alignment from the general manager to the coach to the minor league general manager. He mentioned Ryan Johnson. Maybe we'll try and get him on in the next couple of weeks because he played for the Blues. But that's the American Hockey League general manager developing the players the right way so that when they step to the NHL, they know what they're accomplishing. And that that has to be part of the problem right now of trying to figure out, like, where is everything in terms of alignment for the Blues? And it's got to get better. If it's not there... It's not at 100% right now. So even if it's at 90%, if it's better than what we're currently believing from the outside looking in, it has to get closer to what you see right now from Vancouver. And I don't know who that person is. I don't know if that's Drew Bannister. I don't know if that's somebody else that we haven't even brought up as a name that could be the next head coach of the Blues. Whoever that person is, uh, they've got to be in alignment. And it's not just with Doug Armstrong. I think there's also alignment with your top players. Yeah. I think that's something else that he mentioned there that I found to be really interesting Edison. is... Hughes, um, JT Miller. You're getting the best Brock versions Besser. of those players under Rick Tockett. Who is the coach that can get the best out of Jordan Cairo, out of Robert Thomas, out of maybe it's Scott Perunovich, Colton Pareko, certainly, Buchnevich, and then eventually out of guys like Dvorsky and Snuggerud and Dean and all of these guys that are eventually going to be a big part of the next Blues winning culture. That's what this next coach has to be able to accomplish great stuff from Patrick Johnston. Huge thanks to him for hopping on with us today. Blues versus Canucks later tonight. Pre-game with Alex begins right here in your home of the Blues 101 ESPN tonight at six o'clock. Coming up in about 10 minutes or so, would this player's presence change your opinion on trading Nolan Gorman for a frontline starter? We'll discuss that coming up here in just a little bit. The junk drawer, though, with my worst night ever coming up next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Fenton Bar and Grill. Best trashed wings in Missouri. Dine in. Carry out. Seven days a week. certain days where you just are reminded I am officially an old and yesterday for me was one of those days alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson I'm Brandon Kylie. it's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN mine's when I stand up from playing with my daughters and I'm like oh dude I did a workout the other day I know we're all on the same page we're all trying to (laughs) get back on the workout 
side of things where we're like, uh, probably time to lose a few LBs. Uh, man, my legs are sore from that. So, yesterday... <laughs> Congratulations! Ooh, it worked out real hard yesterday. <laughs> no, it just haven't worked out enough recently. So the first time we're doing it, like, oh I, my god. I was coloring with my daughter <laughs> on the ground, and I stood up, and I went, ah! Dude, there are nights where I'm like, we're doing the whole walking around, trying to rock each other, rock, rock Luca to sleep, right? Oh yeah, that'll, that'll, that'll kill your quads. My lower back, <laughs> when I first started doing it, the first week that we brought him home, I was like, Oh my yeah. god, I might as well be 70 years old. Anyway, so yesterday, the reason why I'm an old right now, uh, I get home, Alex, and we're just hanging out. Me and my wife, Luca's at uh, daycare. We got about an hour to spend together right before before we go get him. So we're watching some YouTube stuff, whatever. We go to take Luca, we go to pick up Luca, we get back home, we do the grocery store, whatnot. Get back home, we start cooking up dinner. By the time we're done eating dinner, I need to go uh, do something, right? So when I'm doing anything with meat, unprepared meat, <laughs> damn you. <laughs> Tell me more I about your off, unprepared meat. I take meat. off my wedding ring so that way it doesn't get disgusting. Oh, man. Take it off, set it to the side, put it in the same you're spot basically good, every you're time. You're not a good chef unless you're getting your hands in there with <laughs> sure. that uncooked meat. So that's what I did while I was preparing our meal. So we get done, and I go back to where I always set my ring, which is right on our, we have an island in our kitchen. I put it right there, right on the countertop. It's not there. I say, Kara, what'd you do? It's obviously obviously her fault that my ring was missing. So Kara, what'd you do with my ring? She said, I didn't touch it. What are you talking about? So I, you know how you go into like panic mode, right, Alex, where you're like, oh, bleep, what? I hate it when I lose This is on me. Dude, yeah. So I'm so I looking take around it off the when entire I kitchen. I'm like, at this point, I'm like, God dang, what did I do with this ring? I'm cussing out care under his breath. All that stuff. Well, I'm like, you know what? There's only one place it could be at this point. Like, it's clearly in the kitchen somewhere. Decided to go ahead and go dumpster diving. Alex. Oh, That's got to be the move. It's clearly in there. Otherwise, where else could it? Po- it was. It wasn't there. I had thrown away my wedding ring. I see how you really feel about your marriage. Because apparently it got on this napkin, and as I pulled that into the trash can, we have it like underneath the island, there's a little pullout. I had pulled the napkin that apparently had my ring on it, didn't notice, threw it all away in the trash. So that's the beginning of the night. That's the starting point of how things went yesterday. Have you had a bad day? Yes. From there, later in the evening, I needed to go outside, grab something out of the car, bring it back in. Alex, I, at this point, had not used my car since arriving at home from work. So I drove home, clearly had the keys at that point in time, went inside and did not then take the keys back outside. My keys were clearly in the house somewhere. I get ready to go pick them up as I I did with my ring. I put them on the island. That is always where my keys are at. They're not there. So once again, of course, Alex, what I do? He's blamed Kara. Why are you always throwing my stuff away? I said, Kara, where'd you put my keys? She says, Brandon, I didn't use your keys. I Brandon. said, oh boy. Was it a like oh stern Mike she say Brandon? Brandon? Yeah, it was Brandon. a Brandon. Did you uh, throw no, it was in the trash? Brandon Michael. When it, when it gets oh. stern, it's the full oh, first damn. and middle. That's what it goes uh, with. I just learned BK's first, middle name for yeah, first Yeah, so time. it's the Congrats. Brandon Michael is what I get. So then. Michael that. Gary Scott. I continue once again, tossing everything aside, trying to find where my keys are at. Did you dumpster dive? 
I sure did. <laughs> had to go dumpster. God, oh, again. Like, like living in the trash. Maybe they're like in your here. takes. Alex. First of all, fair. Yeah. Second of all, I have not yet found my keys. Oh. I have no idea where they are. Did you have Last to Uber night, here? I was going out to my car with two different flashlights. Like going up, I am on my hood, just kind of leaning <laughs> over, <laughs> trying to find out. Now are, that's an image. Are they, are they somewhere in there? I'm sure my neighbors are like calling 911. Hey, somebody's trying to break into my neighbor's no, car. No, they were probably thinking like, oh, we store his patio furniture. Let's see if we can just, steal more I can from them. Sh- I can imagine them showing up. Uh, sir, what are you doing? I'm just, I'm looking for my car keys. I lost well, my keys. Can you prove that this is your car? Uh, well, I can't find my wallet either. Kara, <laughs> <laughs> my wallet, my wallet. Wedding ring are also missing. If you want to find those on the inside, Kara's like, I didn't take it, Brandon. So, Michael, I'm I'm like going all around the yard, <laughs> looking. Did I drop these in the grass somewhere? Unbelievable! It's like 11 o'clock at night at this point. I'm just like, it's like pitch black outside. Like just walking around back and forth, back and forth. They've got to be here somewhere. I have no idea. No idea where my keys are. I didn't think that I had an extra set. Kara texted her mother. Apparently, I had an extra set at the in-laws' house because we lived with them for a year, and I guess I set them somewhere on their keychain thing and never looked back, never thought about it again. So thank God we're good. I've got an extra set of keys. But Alex, somewhere in my house, I'm sure my baby's probably going to be chewing on them when I get home or something. Hopefully not after the trash can. I don't know where they're at, but somewhere I have lost my keys. So yesterday, in the span of like three hours, I threw away my wedding ring and lost my car keys. You are irresponsible. quite a night. You are irresponsible, sir. Somebody said, I accidentally threw away my wife's ring in the sink that oh. were soaked to be cleaned in a glass. Thank God I threw them on the garbage disposal side so I didn't end up running it. Yeah, <laughs> but you know what? That's that's your wife's oh, fault. Boy. That's your wife's fault. Putting it anywhere near the spot that you'd throw stuff in the sink. Be more responsible. Have you ever done anything like this no. where you like accidentally throw away a ring, keys, wallet, didn't something you leave like your, that? Didn't you leave your wedding ring at home for your honeymoon because you're lotioning your hands or something? Yeah, that 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 was a bad moment too. Yeah. I don't think I have. Well, I mean, I never take my ring off when I cook. That was like the first week after getting married, though. So it was different. sure. I was, sure. I was. It was a new a experience yeah, for them. A lot of people have that. Problem. Yeah, no. Th- my ring stays on. The keys go on a hook as soon as I walk in the door. I got loose things but key wallet phone and ring rarely the same place every every day day. as soon as i walk in my garage door i I know there's a hook and just right on the hook i think that's what i'm gonna start doing i think i've decided that it's officially time i'm I'm old enough that i am senile and don't remember where i put things apparently just leave them in your car well that's another option accidentally throw away my phone at a gas station according to the 314 how do you accidentally throw away your phone well i've uh washed it when i had an ipod showing my age here a what i washed my ipod oh i in the washer once where i where i left it in my back pocket and Mm -hmm. just threw those jeans i do that with money like you got like a dollar or something in there like oh crap yeah. Yeah. You would think you'd notice an iPod in your back pocket, though. Did not. Especially those bulky ones. Like, those yeah. things were like battery packs. Yeah. I All can't right. tell if this is true or not, but somebody said they lost their brand new $2,500 wedding ring while trying to rescue a kitten from the top of a tree in a thunderstorm. Yeah, that sounds like a lie. If not, congrats to you, but why are you climbing a tree in the middle of a thunderstorm to get a cat? That's the cat's fault. It sounds, oh, okay. it's it's not the dog I'm climbing, but not a cat. Coming up in 15 it minutes, 314 is the Air Comfort Service X line. For more likely to happen, you give us two scenarios. We'll tell you which one is more likely. But coming up next, would this player's presence on the market 
change your opinion of trading Nolan Gorman for a front-line starting pitcher. We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. T-Bone on BK in just a little bit. We'll get to more likely to happen. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line to get involved in the show. You give us two scenarios. We'll tell you which one is more likely. Alex, yesterday I was listening to MLB Network and JP Morosi came on and they asked him about the free agent market and which guys could be next to come off the board. And he brought up Jock Peterson's name. And I hadn't thought a lot about Jock Peterson lately, but... He mentioned how the uh, Toronto Blue Jays apparently have legitimate interest in bringing Jock Peterson in because they've missed out on some of the other top bats that have been available. And now they're turning their attention to one of the other best hitters that is out there. Alex, Jock Peterson's really good, man. When you put him up against right-handed pitching, this is a guy that's going to hit for some serious power. In 2022, that was one of his best seasons as a left-handed hitter. Finished the year with 21 home runs and a 540 slugging percentage against right-handed pitching. That was good for a 900 OPS. This past season, and what was considered to be a down year for him, still at an OPS of right around 800. The reason that I bring him up, Alex, is because I do wonder, and this is something I'm curious your thoughts on and the text line's thoughts on as well, at 314-399-9646. Let's see your comfort service text line. Does his presence on the market impact in any way your level of interest in trading Nolan Gorman for a frontline starting pitcher. I'll present my argument first. I am personally opposed to trading Nolan Gorman because it's about more than just the 2024 season. I'm looking about at 2026, 2027 and beyond. I think you need that left-handed power in your lineup to be considered a legitimate World Series contender. So, yes, you are lacking that frontline starter. My hope would be you could get it with some kind of package of prospects and maybe some of the ancillary pieces of the big league roster as opposed to specifically Nolan Gorman. I would be more likely probably at this point to trade Brendan Donovan than I would be Nolan Gorman or Alec Burleson than Nolan Gorman. You need that power in your lineup. However, if that is what it takes, if that is the starting point for any conversation to be had for Logan Gilbert or Dylan Cease or Framber Valdez or Jesus Luzardo, like the top level starters that could be available, if you have to include Nolan Gorman to do so, I think you need to have some serious urgency to start moving on those. So that way you can replace him with Jock Peterson. I wouldn't want to make that deal, but the presence of Jock Peterson on the market allows me to at least consider it if and when he signs, because I think he's the only guy that can get even like 70% of the power from the left side that you have right now from Nolan Gorman. If he is signed before you make that trade, I think you immediately have to make Nolan Gorman an untouchable because you have nobody else that can replace that kind of power. How do you feel about it? Does Jock Peterson's presence on the market at all change your interest or willingness to trade Nolan Gorman? No, I don't think Jock Peterson has any stance in this conversation. I've, I've said it before, and I'll continue to say it. I'll trade Nolan Gorman if I can get Logan Gilbert. If I'm getting a young, cost-controllable pitcher that's going to be here for the next four to five years as somebody who could be a top arm and ace for me, I'll trade him. 
but to the point that you're making of trading them so that you get a Jack Peterson and you get both kind of areas covered, if I'm going to trade Nolan Gorman, and I know it's not the same projections, I'll give Alec Burleson the shot. And again, I, I, I don't know if Alec Burleson is somebody who profiles and could hit the same amount of bombs as a Nolan Gorman can, but I'll at least give it a shot. I think I've got a lot of left-handed batters for with Newt Barr and Donovan and now you'll talk about Alec Burleson with a little bit more of an opportunity with the team and I'll see what happens with Alec Burleson maybe more reps means more of an opportunity for him to hit a home run I don't need Jack Peterson in my lineup uh, because if I'm going to trade Nolan Gorman I'm giving the opportunity to an Alec Burleson and if I'm not going to do that then I'll just keep Nolan Gorman I, I think I would just keep Gorman I because Though, yes, I understand the route that you're going Even down. Even if it of, means you, because you kept him, you cannot get a front line yeah, starter. I, yep. I think the reason for it is because I, I understand what you're saying. One, two things for me. One, I Peterson, yeah, okay, you get the front end starter. But now, sure, you kind of filled that power that Gorman was providing, like you said, 60%, 70% of it. But to me, I would much rather just have the 100% the power that Nolan Gorman brings. And the other thing, too, for me is this would feel like the all-in move. If you were the Cardinals. And what I mean by that is, like, if they were a team that I looked at and I said, you know, they're kind of right there with the Dodgers. They're kind of right there with the Braves. They're right there with the Phillies. I would say, yeah, you know, you go and get that other top-end starter. He puts you over the edge. Yeah, I'll take the, we'll get the top-end starter and we'll subtract the 40 home runs and replace it with 20 to 30 with Jack Peterson. Like, they're not at that point right now. Like we mentioned, they're an 85-win team. And I think that even bringing in a top-end arm, they still are not close to that level with the Dodgers and the Braves and the Philadelphia Phillies. So with that being said, if I can't get a starting pitcher like a Dylan Cease, uh, and he's pro- I, I said this yesterday, I think he's the only guy that would make sense for the Cardinals at this point. It's Cease or bust. As the segment was yesterday, check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com, presented by... Dubs, Tyron Otis. Caught me off guard there. Oh, come on, that was come really on, man. Good. That was quick. Practicing. Uh, but I, I thought, I, I think it is truly just... Caesar Bus and it's Caesar Bus if it only takes minor leaguers to go get him because I would not trade Nolan Gorman and try and replace his forty home run potential with a guy that is twenty to twenty five, which I think he projects best. But see, the word you use there is potential, and that's why I would still explore it, and that's why the Nolan, the Logan Gilbert's the one that comes to mind for me. And I again, I'm in the minority with trading Nolan Gorman, but. If I'm going to get somebody who I know is going to make my team significantly better because I need a frontline starter, I have a lot of faith that I put all of my chips into the middle of the table with all of these guys offensively that I'm paying. And if Nolan Gorman goes elsewhere and just dominates, yeah, it sucks. But if I get Logan Gilbert looking like an ace, I'm on board with it. So people just keep saying something else that I think is crazy. Guys, the hard hit rate on a strikeout is zero miles per hour. I'm just saying Jock Peterson strikes out a ton. Because Jock Peterson over the last two years against right-handed pitching strikes out 20% of the time. 20%. He walks 11% of the time against right-handed pitching. You know what Nolan Gorman's strikeout rate is against righties over the last two seasons? 33%. So you would actually be cutting down your strikeout rate by going from Nolan Gorman to Jock Peterson. Now, the hope is like there's still upside that is baked into what the Nolan Gorman projection can be. Jock Peterson is what he is. He ain't changing. He's probably getting worse instead of getting better at this point in his career, whereas Nolan Gorman is, you hope, only going to continue getting better. But over the last two seasons, Jock Peterson's hitting 260 against right-handed pitching. Nolan Gorman is hitting 230. Jock Peterson has a slugging percentage over the last two seasons against right-handed pitching of 490. Nolan Gorman's is at 455. Jock Peterson has been about 20% better 
than league average, 30% better than league average against righties. And in that same stretch of time, Nolan Gorman has been 10% better than league average against righties. So I, I think Gorman's going to be a really good player. I want that power in my lineup. I've been saying all along, this is not me saying, hey, trade Nolan Gorman. The guy stinks. He's obviously overrated. I'm not saying that at all. But for me, I think that what you would have to do is upon trading Nolan Gorman, you're immediately, it's the Colton Pareko thing, right? If you trade him, you're immediately looking for a guy like him. If you trade Nolan Gorman, you are legitimately looking for a guy that profiles similarly to him. The nice thing right now about doing such a thing is there is somebody that profiles at least as an 80% version of what Nolan Gorman could give you this year, but he might be gone soon. And so this is why I think if the Cardinals are going to make such a move, they need to do it quickly. There needs to be some urgency that is required here because otherwise you might lose out on uh, on a guy like Jock Peterson. And then this opportunity ceases to exist for you. No pun intended, in my opinion. Nice. I think then you suddenly have to turn your attention to exclusively prospects-driven trades or not making a trade at all, if that ends up being the case. So uh, for me, it does change my opinion a bit on trading Nolan Gorman. But it would also require this to be a super creative move. And we know the Cardinals don't do these, T-Bone, where you're trading for the thing you need with the thing that you have. And then you replace the thing that you have with something else that you suddenly now need again. Um, and the reason why you do that, why is that, BK? Why, why not just go to the market? Well, because the pitching that is available in the market is $100 million or more that can give you the upgrade that a Dylan Cease or similar could give you. And the bat that is available on the market that is similar to the one that you have currently, what do you think? You could get them for 15 million bucks on a one-year deal? Maybe, maybe less. less than that. So that's that's why you go this route. It is much more cost-effective for you to go get the lefty power bat on the market than the free agent starting pitcher. And here's the other thing. Like, Timo mentioned it. You're an 85-win team right now. You're Nolan Gorman at his best maybe gives you a couple more wins. If your pitching staff sucks or Sonny Gray gets hurt, you're screwed. You're you're less than an 85 win team. So that's why I just, as much as I don't want to see Nolan Gorman go and would not like to see a Jock Peterson here, man, you need you need help on the pitching side still. And that's that's what takes you from an 85 win team, 85 win team to a 90 win team. Yeah, my my problem with it is it feels like an addition and a, or it is an addition and a subtraction, obviously. But it is okay. Yeah, now you got that one two punch that you're looking for. But then I look at the lineup and I go, okay, well, now some of that much-needed power is gone. And and sure, Peterson is brought in, but, I mean, he's, to me, he would profile, he would probably fall more similar into 20 to 25. Not the potential of, and I get, I get it, the word potential, and that's the thing that Cardinals fans hate to hear. Where if Gorman can stay healthy and get it all to click together, he is a 35 to 40 home run guy, and I think he can go against lefties too. At, not at the level where he's going to be maybe starting every single game against lefties, but we saw the Cardinals give him a run at it last year. He had an over an 800 OPS against left-handers. Jack Peterson is just truly a platoon guy at this point in his career, and that's why his ceiling is probably 20 home runs. Did you guys see the news today that Tommy Edmond had surgery? Yeah, kind of, you know. Oh, good. He's strengthening that arm for next season. According to John Denton of MLB.com, Tommy Edmond underwent arthroscopic surgery on his right wrist in October. That is according to John Mozeliak, who spoke with John Denton earlier today. The Cardinals are, quote, confident that Edmond will be ready for spring training, end quote. 
Edmund missed three weeks in July with tendon inflammation in his wrist when the pain and stiffness lingered throughout the rest of the season. Edmund opted for surgery in October. The wrist should be healed by the February 12th opening of spring training. Raise your hand if you've heard the Cardinals tell you that they are confident he'll be ready and healthy for spring training. Dude, I hate hearing about wrists. Wrists and thumbs. For hitters, not things that you want. Hitters? How about your center fielder that you're relying on this season? Yeah, I I wouldn't worry about it too much from that perspective, but sometimes this kind of thing can sap power. And while Dent... (laughs) Tommy Edmund is not exactly a big-time power hitter. He does have a little bit of pop when he's hitting from the right side. And so when you have the right wrist, that is a problem here. Uh, It's not something that I would love to see, uh, to say the least. What is your guys' reaction to this? I won't be concerned until I hear there's a setback and Tommy Edmonds going to have to delay a little bit in spring training. For now, it makes sense. Everybody gets cleanup surgeries in the offseason and Edmund wants to be ready to go. But you prefer not to see it. <laughs> sure, but again, it's it's a cleanup surgery is what the He's way that... He's still in a wrist wrap today and we're in January and he got the surgery in October. He's being cautious. He'll be ready. He's being cautious because the Cardinals staff is confident that he'll be healthy for spring training. I've never heard them miss on an injury timeline. <laughs> yeah, no, How never. often has that happened? No, uh, it has hasn't been two years since Dylan Carlson's yeah. been healthy, yeah. and he didn't have an ankle injury in, I think it was May, that lingered all the way through the end of the season that they were still considering surgery for by the end of two the year. Two years. That they definitely were, didn't two happen. Two years. They were confident Tyler O'Neill was going to have a bounce back, and the dude was hurt every time he took the field. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not overly concerned. It is a little alarming because, like you said, it is in the wrist. Anytime you start dealing with the wrist or like the lower body, that connective chain for hitters, that's what ruined Alan Craig's career was we dealt with those lower leg injuries. It gets concerning, but the reason I'm not overly concerned, and this is probably going to sound dark, but it, it's more of it's more of the fact that he's not a crucial part to the offense. He is more of the defensive-minded yeah. guy that you said. So, like, if it does sap some power from the right side for him or it does lead to where he struggles to hit offensively, he's probably going to hit eighth in your lineup. And the main thing for him is the defensive side playing center field. I do find it interesting that John Mosellock was asked multiple times this offseason about any injuries, any updates on any of that medical-wise, and he always said, no, 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 no. Uh, maybe he didn't <laughs> get the updated Wait, information. I forgot about Tommy even had a research. Yeah, now they're starting center fielder for opening day. Oh, yeah, 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 you meant like you meant other injuries. injuries that we didn't tell you about. Yeah, 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 yeah. he had surgery on his wrist. He's going to be fine. It's gonna <laughs> Oops, be my opening bad. Day. Sorry, no Michael didn't give me the updated list when we talked last. Kind of a big deal. All right, coming up in just a little bit, what should the Blues be looking for in a long-term partner with Colton Pareko? We'll get to that here in just a little bit. More likely to happen is next. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. at the scene. Alongside no, Alex are. and T-Bone, I'm BK. Coming up in about 15 minutes, we'll get into our BK and Ferrario Rewind by discussing what the long-term outlook looks like for Colton Pareko and Scott Perunovich. We'll talk about it next here on 101 ESPN. But Alex, let's get to more likely to happen. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line to get involved in the show. You give us two scenarios. We'll tell you which one's more likely. Uh, a little bit of housekeeping from the 314. Guys, I tuned in at 1 o'clock just to see, believe it or not, is that not happening today? We will do that tomorrow. We forgot it was Thursday. That will take place tomorrow. I did not. Oh, I did. This is a week that we did not have a show on Monday, so we push everything back a day. So our normal Thursday segments are happening on Friday, etc. Is that true? 
Can I, can we have a moment of honesty on air? Pretty sure that I sang "Believe It or Not" on and, Thursday and last bring, week, and bring and bring the listeners in on why we poorly planned this. You know what? We're not going to hear tomorrow while we're at Centene. What? Believe it or not. Wait, why? Because have you heard us sing "Believe It or Not" when we're on remote? Oh, is it that bad? Oh, it's awful. Well, one, I should have done this better. Should, two, we, should we redo this? Should we two, go with "Believe It or Not"? <laughs> Our we, clock management is already jacked up. Should we go ahead and reverse it? Timon, how fast can you get Believe It Turn or Not open? And reverse it? I don't remember what I did with it. <laughs> should we do a quick poll? Go on the roof. Man. Should we do Believe It or Not here? I More likely to believe it or not right now. I vote for Believe It or Not because tomorrow we won't be able to hear it at Do you be more likely to happen tomorrow? Sure, uh, more likely to happen. We get Believe It or Not in this segment or we say screw it, our timing's off, so we got to do whatever. I don't know. T-Bone will tell us. Yeah, I mean... What's, why not? Oh, it's Thursday! I can't believe it! T-Bone, I outsang you last week, by the way. The fans voted. By the way, behind the scenes, the reason we couldn't do it tomorrow, we can't play this on YouTube, so we wouldn't hear it at some time. <laughs> My bad. Take it, T-Bone. Believe it or not, I'm walking on air. I never felt I could feel so Flying away on a wing and a prayer Who could it be? Believe it or not, it's just me T-Bone messed his lyrics up T-Bone screwed the lyrics up There's a lot going on on this side of the board For Believe It or Not You give us a scenario, we'll tell you if we are believing it or not Here on 101 ESPN All right, boys, let's get to this. Believe it or not, Alex, the St. Louis Cardinals will add a reliever by the end of the offseason that has at least five saves by the end of the 2024 season. Uh, Not believe it, because I think whoever they add, unless it's Josh Hader or make a trade, is going to be fourth on the depth chart in terms of closing games out. Helsley, Gallegos, Jojo Romero, then the person that they bring in. So I'm not believing this one. Five saves? I I, I would believe that. I, especially the way Ollie runs a bullpen where he likes to bring in the closer in the most high leverage spot that could be like the seventh or eighth inning. It could lead to where you could see like that guy they bring in as like the seventh, eighth guy. Maybe Geo's down that day if Geo's the eighth inning guy and he has to close out the game because he used Helsley already. So I, I'd believe that. I could see where he could get to five saves. The Cardinals relievers that had at least five saves last year were Ryan Helsley with 14, Giovanni Gallegos with 10, and Jordan Hicks with eight. I'm going to believe this. I think they're going to bring in somebody that fits into that eighth and ninth inning mix. He basically only went to those three, though. JoJo down the stretch got some of those opportunities, but at that point, I mean, you didn't have Ryan Helsley. You didn't have Jordan Hicks. Of course, somebody has to fit into those opportunities. I think they're going to sign somebody of significance for the bullpen. So I'm going to say believe this. Alex, what do you got for us? Uh, Believe it or not, guys, the Blues play 13 games in the month of January. They have a over 500 point percentage by the end of this month. Not. I think this is the month where I don't think it's going to completely derail to the point where it's like a tanking season. But I do think this is the moment. This is the month where we say to ourselves at the end of it. okay, it's time to be real about where we're at. This is a team that is very much in a retool. They're not probably going to make the playoffs this year. What does that mean for the rest of this season? So I I think that is the month of January is when that takes place. Unfortunately, I hate to be the negative one, but man, to to have a plus 500 point percentage means you're pulling out victories 
however combination you want against Vancouver, the Rangers, the Hurricanes, the Bruins, Phillies. Like, I think you can win one or both games against the Capitals. You could beat the Flames. You could beat the Kraken and you could beat Columbus. But man, when you play Vancouver twice, L.A. once, and then, of course, this Eastern Conference stretch after tonight. Hey, I'm going to say not believe this one. You got to win at least seven games yeah. against those teams. And I think there's four in the month of January that realistically I'd, I'd give the Blues the edge. Yeah, I'm not going to believe it. They they play just too inconsistent hockey to really be able to put that together and finish above that 500 mark. So I would not believe this one. T-Bone? Believe it or not, we talked about him earlier today. Victor Scott will be the starting center fielder at some point this season for the St. Louis Cardinals. I'll believe it. <laughs> Especially because Tommy Edmonds' wrist is all banged up. Who knows what's going to happen there. But I think by the end of the season, depending on where you're at position-wise, I don't know if they're... In a playoff spot, I think you look at it and say, let's see what Victor Scott has to offer. Plus, injuries are going to take place. So I'm going to believe this one. I'm going to say not because I think they're going to slow play this. I think they're going to treat Victor Scott next year the way they treated Mason Wynn this year. And I know Mason Wynn ended up getting opportunities at the end of the season. John Mozeliak has made some comments recently that I found to be really interesting. And he basically said, if you read between the lines, he essentially says, yeah, Mason Wynn wasn't going to play at the end of the year if not for us being completely out of contention. Them being out of contention allowed for that to be possible. So I don't think they're going to be out of contention at the end of this year. And I do think that means Victor Scott spends basically the entirety of the season in Memphis. And then in 2025, he is in play for your opening day starting center fielder job. So I'm going to say not. I don't think he ends up getting the opportunities here. I would believe it because I think if Tommy Inman got hurt, then I think he'd become this everyday not center Dylan fielder. Not Dylan Carlson? No. I, I think they learned that Carlson's not a center fielder. I do not. I Well, okay, let me rephrase that. Mo and Ollie should have learned that he is not a center. They do not have a backup center fielder on this roster. They can tell you that they've got Carlson. They can tell you they've got Newbar. They don't have one. And I think it tells you tells you that by them putting Tommy Edmond there. And that's not a shot against Edmond because he is very good out there defensively. But I don't think they have another guy that can back that position up unless they were if they had to do it like in a spurt, like Tommy Evans needs a day off. Sure, they can do that. If they need to do it for like a 60 game stretch, they don't have a backup center fielder. And Victor Scott would be that guy. All right, let's get to some of these from the text line, guys. Believe it or not, Justin Fields future as the starting quarterback of the Chicago Bears depends on if he beats Green Bay on Sunday. That's an interesting one. I'll say not believe this one. I think it's going to have an impact, but I think the more impactful decision on Justin Fields' career in Chicago is going to be the projections trajectory of these quarterbacks when they do all of the evaluations and, you know, they're going through everything. That's what's really going to tell the Chicago team. Do we want to stick with Fields or can one of these guys be better than him? I think they've already determined the fate of him, so I don't I think do it matters. So I'm not going to believe that. Now, I don't know which way they're leaning, but I think they've already decided. I, I kind of hope they keep him, but I've seen some really smart people say go the opposite route as well. I, this they is one of the hardest one. <laughs> T-Bone specifically is who I was referencing there. This is, I think, the hardest decision that I've seen in recent years when it comes to quarterbacks. Like, even the Peyton Manning decision by the Colts was easier than this one. And that's only because he had the neck fusion and you had no idea if he was going to be able to come back as the same player. And you had a generational talent at quarterback. That was the number one pick in that year's draft class with Andrew Luck. So that is one of the greatest quarterbacks ever that you're moving on from. That's a hard choice, but at least it was made easier by the neck fusion. This one's harder, man. This is a young quarterback that's showing legitimate promise. They're winning down the stretch. They're starting to show some signs defensively as well. The players clearly love him. I'm saying it's not dependent upon this game because I think they've probably already made up their mind there. 
But man, I, I don't know which way they're going to end up going. Uh, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service X line for Believe It or Not. Believe It or Not, guys, Joe Flacco takes the Browns to the Super Bowl because of their defense. I believe it because I'm oh, optimistic yeah. and I got money on it. <laughs> well, so let's go, Joe. I'll believe Same. it because of the defense. Yeah. I think Joe Flacco is going to be bad and the defense will be awesome. Be like, oh, Joe Flacco's in the Super Bowl again. Is he a Hall of Famer? Alex, believe it or not, Robert Thomas is in the uh, Selkie Trophy conversation by the end of the season. Oh, yeah. Why are you bringing this one up right now, buddy? The 636. Oh, did you? Oh, okay. That's interesting. Um, They probably heard it yesterday on the fast. Probably. Somebody should uh, listen to pregame tonight because I've got a lot more numbers than what BK just shot me down during a commercial break. But I'll believe this one. I think by the end of the season, um, he will be in the Selkie Trophy conversation. And I also think you're going to have somebody who's going to get close to 80 or 90 points. Uh, But I'm going to believe this one, man. If you look at what guys like Patrice Bergeron did in the last couple of years, Barkov did when he won it. If you look at from the start of the season up until now, Robert Thomas has arguably better numbers than all of those guys and is playing more minutes against other teams top line. So I'm going to believe this one. I'm going to say not because he's on too bad of a team. It's not his fault. I do not think that you'll be in the conversation for the Selkie on this bad of a team. I would be curious, Alex, if you have any numbers on that. Do you have, do you have any numbers on the Guess you'll have to tune in tonight rather than shooting me down when during a commercial break. You'll have to listen uh, to pregame tonight, which, by the way, starts at 6 o'clock, my first community credit union pregame show. I'm looking forward Driven to Driven by tonight. Clement Ford. Cha-ching. I'm not going to believe it here. I think BK's right. I, I think Bleep you, man. There's not a lot of guys that end up with reward awards not rewards awards on bad teams like eric carlson winning the norris last year on that garbage can of the san jose sharks is just a one-off it doesn't happen very often all the awards typically go to playoff caliber teams that's Tanner hendrickson he's a very smart individual he's alex ferrario also a very smart individual i'm brandon kylie i'm very dumb coming up next we're hitting the bk and ferrario rewind with the future of colton pareko does it include a puck moving defenseman next to him we'll talk about it next year on 101 espn we're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's run it back with a daily rewind on PK and Ferrario brought to you by Gloria Loom, your home sold guaranteed realty. Selling your home begins at GloriaHasTheBuyers.com. Yeah, BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. If you missed anything from today's show, check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com, and the free 101 ESPN app is where you go to find it. It's all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Center. Alex, if people go over there from yesterday's show, they will hear us talking about Colton Pareko and Scott Perunovich and whether or not they make sense as pairing partners defensively for the Blues. My simple elevator pitch on this is that, no, I don't think they make sense right now. Now, I do think that will change in about a month and it won't be because I see more from Perunovic or Preka or anything like that. If you are not in contention any longer in a meaningful way for the postseason, I think that's when you want to find out. You want to find out if these guys can play together. But Alex, the fast lane had a differing opinion on that. And Jamie essentially discussed yesterday why he thinks it not only will not work today, but might not even work like four years from now for those guys to be partnered together. I want to play the cut that was the genesis, though, of us even having the conversation. Because uh, if you recall, a couple of years ago, we talked to Doug Armstrong 
about what he wants to see as the ideal pairing with Colton Pareko. This is what he said at the time. Uh, well, it can be a couple of different ways. Right now, obviously, we, we have a, a Mikla playing with them, and those are two big bodies that can kill plays down low. Uh, but you can also see uh, success with a smaller player, a skater that can 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 make plays. Uh, you know, he could have the you know in a shutdown pair with with Mikla or Scandella, or uh, you know he could, he's a great skater, and I could see him playing with Krug over over the next few years too. So I I think he's multi dimensional on how how he can play, and I think a lot of his situation driven on on where you need do you need offense do you need to shut games down. Um, you know, he, he can provide both of that force. Alex, over the last few seasons, these are the players that uh, Colton Pareko spent at least 100 minutes on the ice with. In 2020, Scandella, Krug, those two. 2021, it was Scandella, Mikola, and Tori Krug. In 2022, it was Letty, and Mikola, and Krug. This season, he has spent almost every minute of his ice time with Nick Letty. Do you believe, whether it's right now, a year from now, three years, whatever, a month from now, do you think that we could see a point in time where it would make sense to partner Colton Pareko, even if it's not with Scott Perunovich specifically, with a puck moving defenseman? Yeah, I I think that's what Colton Pareko needs, and that's what Jay Bomeister was. He was a puck moving defenseman. Guy, guys, Nick Letty is a puck moving defenseman. Now, now maybe not so much, but like in his prime, the years he was with the New York Islanders, he was one of the better puck moving defensemen on their roster. That's what we heard about the zone exits, yes. right? The passes. He was a power play guy. Like everything about Nick Letty, you acquired Tory Krug because you were hoping that that worked with Colton Pareko. So, yes, that's what I think the ideal partner is for Colton Pareko, and I. I I think the nonsense that is people like viewing it as well, you can't have a small defenseman playing a top pair, a shutdown pair as the NHL is changing. This is what the NHL is now. Some of the top defensemen are five foot 10, five foot 11 puck moving defensemen that play with defensemen who are shutdown defensemen. Devon Taves is a shutdown defenseman. Quinn Hughes and Philip Ronick are those shutdown defensemen. Adam Fox and Keandre Miller are doing that right now. Sure. If you don't want to put them there now, I can hear the argument, sure. but my, my rebuttal to that would be, what are you hoping to accomplish this season to get to the playoffs? Because you're not viewed as a Stanley cup contender. Why can't Scott Perunovich be somebody that gives you a better opportunity to get to the playoffs? Because if you unlock potential with him and he and Colton Pareko click, you become a much more dominant team. So, I do think there is something to the way that they play Colton Pareko that would have to change. If you look at the way that he has been utilized, he's about a 30% offensive zone start player right now. If you look at where Perunovic is being utilized, it's the opposite. He's at a 75% offensive zone start. So essentially, when they put him on the ice, it's because he's flying up the ice to be a part of the offensive zone time. That makes sense. If you think about how stylistically those players are best utilized, that's just good coaching. That's a smart way to get them involved. That would have to change a bit for Colton Pareko if you decided to use a Tory Krug or Scott Perunovic or somebody else down the road but, with him. But mind you, you're doing that in the offensive zone with a guy like Marco Scandella playing with Scott Perunovic. Sure. So why can't a Colton Pareko, who probably should be used more in the offensive zone? Yeah, I, I think it would just require you to do other things differently. Yeah. Like now... What you would essentially be saying is our best defense is a good offense mm -hmm. by doing that. Because now what you're saying is we are going to keep the puck in the offensive zone. So it doesn't hurt us that we don't have great a great defenseman with Pareko because they're in the offensive zone as often as we could possibly right. have. And that's why Kale McCarr is such a good player. Quinn Hughes is such a good player. 
these guys are not out there just getting stuck in their own zone all game long. They're out there moving the puck up the ice and getting it into the offensive zone where they can then go to work. So that would be what is necessary. There are steps that I still believe need to be taken by Scott Perunovic before you put him into these really difficult situations. Like third period, you're up by a goal. Yeah. You would have to change things a little bit. You do probably want Scandella, Letty, et cetera, up there with Which Perico you can absolutely to shut do. down the opposing team's line or if they go out there with the extra attacker. Yeah. But – I do think there's a scenario where it will make sense, not just down the line, but the rest of this season to utilize Scott Perunovich in that way. The one last thing that I will say is the other factor into this is his confidence and comfortability because he has been playing a lot on the right side. And I remember Grant Frederick, who filled in for Joe, who played against him in college. He said that, you know, Perunovich does like to play on the right side because he's able to tow that blue line a little bit more. So that's the other difficult part in all of this. But here's the factor. He's a left-handed defenseman who likes to play on the right side. You can always move guys around on the ice. So your best opportunity to move forward and at least evaluate this talent is to start to give him a little bit more opportunity. He's Alex Ferrario. You will hear him on the call tonight or about pregame, postgame and intermission, excuse me, Not the for call. Blues versus the Canucks. That starts at six o'clock. We've got Curbs and Joey on the call tonight for the game. Tanner Hendrickson did a fantastic job producing for us today. We'll be back in tomorrow at 11 a.m. The Fast Lane coming up next year on 101 ESPN. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.